This is Jocko Podcast number 74 with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Good evening, Echo. Good evening. Now, I always dug music. And I'm pretty sure it started when my dad would play Hank Williams Sr. on the 8-track in his... I think it was a 1971 Barracuda. Mm. And he'd play that that tape just over and over again. And I still know those songs by heart. And then, you know, I got, that was when I was a little kid. And then I got a little bit older. And like a lot of kids, all of a sudden I was listening to the Beatles. Sure. Elvis. Thought they were great. I still think that song, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, is a good song. But that wore out kind of quickly and there was something wasn't there in that music something just wasn't quite there the music didn't sound how I felt and then in 1980 ACDC back in black came out and it was popular right it it was popular And so it went into my ears at some point. And I said, dang. All right. Better. Closer. Sure. Warmer. We're getting there. And then I watched around in the hard rock for a while. Hendrix. Led Zeppelin. And I can't help throwing it on a little Jack Black when I say that. If you watch that tribute that he did to them. And that, you know, some of the kids that I hung around with and New England, they rode that train down to hippiedom. You know, we're talking Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and Janis Joplin, and the Grateful Dead, and all that. I couldn't relate. Wasn't there. Didn't get there. Didn't seem to reflect the world that I was beginning to see myself. I got on the other train, right? And we're talking about Van Halen. Yes, this is the 1980s. You know, if you were a kid in America, age 13, we got issued the album 1984 by Van Halen. (laughs) That was just a given you were going to get that. Got issued Diver Down. Boom, you need to listen to this. This is rock and roll, people. This is Eddie Van Halen. Listen to that guitar solo. Eruption. Listen again. Do it again. Iron Maiden, right? Actual song called Trooper. You know you got to listen to that when you're a kid. And so now I'm heading in the right direction. I'm feeling it, starting to reflect what things are like in my head. And then there was that day where I got an album called Black Sabbath by a band called Black Sabbath. And the first song is also called Black Sabbath. And I put that on and boom, I had found something that sounded like I was thinking. And from there, I was definitely on the right train. Then it was Motorhead. And soon after, the Ramones. Boom. And then that leads to the Sex Pistols. Because you're just going harder. That's what you're doing. That's what I was doing. Like, what's a little bit harder than that? What's a little bit harder than that? Sex Pistols. Bodies. No feelings. They're singing songs. No feelings. Okay. I hear what you're saying. 
louder, more anger. And then finally we get to Black Flag, my war side two, still one of my all-time favorites, Minor Threat. Get a hold of a little band, another little band from D.C. called The Bad Brains. Some Detroit hardcore negative approach. And then, so I was, you know, I was kind of in the game, right? Mm-hmm. I was there. Mm-hmm. And so now 87 rolls around. And one of my friends who is actually more of a metalhead at this time, he gives me a cassette tape because this was back in the day when you were just going to have to listen to cassette tapes and they were usually dubbed 47 times from somebody else. <laughs> but I, this was the real tape. Man, this was the real deal. This the was original. an actual original with the full mm. cover on it and everything. And the cover of this tape was just a giant mushroom cloud of death and destruction. And above the mushroom cloud, in large old English script blazing across the top, it said, Chromags. Okay. And then underneath the mushroom cloud, in a little bit smaller script in Old English, it said, The Age of Quarrel. Okay. So I put it in my tape deck. Sure. And I press play. And the first track, it hit me like a train. <laughs> and it's the first track was called We Gotta Know. And let me just tell you the lyrics. Struggling in the streets just trying to survive searching for the truth just to keep us alive got to break these Shackles got to break these chains The only way we'll do it is if we use our brains. There's got to be some meaning to the purpose of life I know there must be more than the struggle and strife looking for the answers and I need a clue But my mind is so disturbed now. What do I do? Now I can tell you I was not struggling in the streets (laughs) but like most teenage kids I did feel some shackles, right? You feel the shackles of things. And I was looking for answers, and I needed a clue. And so I was like, hmm, yeah, we're on to something. The next title track had me a little worried, a little concerned, because, you know, like I said, there was a lot of kids were taking the hippie route, and so I was not into that. The next song title had me a little concerned. It was The song was called World Peace. And so I was kind of, oh, oh, uh-oh, red flag. Sure. And then I listened to the lyrics. Lyrics, all you hippies better stay, start to face reality. Are you, all your far-fetched dreams of anarchy better start to see things the way they are because the way things are going, they won't be going far. World peace can't be done. It just can't exist. World peace can't be done. Anarchy is a mess. Okay. <laughs> And the rest of the album kept up that assault on my brain, on my attitude, and that was it. I had found something called hardcore music, and it, I never really left it, and I listened to Cro-Mags and a ton of other hardcore bands from that time until now, and that's pretty much essentially the soundtrack of much of my life, and it had a pretty big influence on me and it was an attitude that I kept throughout my life and it was my own interpretation I can tell you that right now it was my own kind of you know you listen to the lyrics and you kind of apply what it means in your world that's what I did Mm -hmm. 
which to me was pretty simple because to me hardcore meant hardcore sure. <laughs> that's what it meant it's pretty mm-hmm. simple hardcore in everything you do work hard be aggressive don't back down fight for what you believe in hold the line and that's kind of what i did in my life and i don't know like a year ago or something somebody asked me something about you know on on the interwebs someone said oh yeah what 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 band should i listen to you know, I said, oh, blah, 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 Chromags, <laughs> you know, check them out, whatever. And you might want to do that. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, it's the, the internet is an incredible thing. And eventually I, I uh, uh, the founding member of the Chromags, a guy by the name of Harley Flanagan. Sure. He like reached out and said, hey, what's up, man? <laughs> How you doing? And I had heard over the years, you know, that Harley was a jiu-jitsu guy, black belch in jiu-jitsu. And so, you know, he just kind of hit me up. And eventually, you know, we were talking and and he said, hey, I got a book coming out, send it to you. And I said, cool, yeah. And he said, man, the book's crazy. And I was kind of like, yeah, you know, yeah, I know, man, because you know, I was around that stuff. It's cool, (laughs) I get it, it's kind of crazy. And he's like, no, 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 man, It's, it's crazy. And I said, okay, cool. So he sent it to me. And then I read the book, and damn, I, I had I had no idea. Actually, I had a semblance of an idea, you know, because in in the hardcore scene, people know each other. I mean, like you know the you know you after a show you talk to everyone, and it's the band members, it's people, everyone kind of knows each other. So I'd heard stories, but the book, when the reality behind the stories was was way more intense and crazier than I could have uh, thought it was. And there was one point when I was reading the book, I'm gonna read a little excerpt right now. And it said this, this is Harley. When I started working on this book, I was staying in a hotel in the red light district in Amsterdam. The working title was The Longest Suicide Note ever written I was trying to document the madness from as far back as I could remember until the end the story of my life as an insane suicidal joyride of rock and roll depravity and demise until the final crash and burn it was gonna be a book that all the great fuck-ups never got to write because they died first so I began working on it I figured the end would have come sooner than later. But I was wrong. And once I got done reading the book, I, I reached out to Harley and I said, hey man, there's a lot in this book that's crazy. And the fact that you lived through it and the fact that you got through it and the fact that you got to the position that you're in now with your life, I think a lot of people can learn from it. And it'd be awesome if you come on the podcast. And Harley said, let's do it. So, Harley Flanagan, welcome to the show, man. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's awesome. And I saw you uh, several times when I was a kid, and we were trying to figure out names of clubs where I saw you, but that was pretty cool, and it's pretty cool to be sitting here. I guess we're talking about... uh, 
30 years later, you know, because I was seeing you when yeah. I was in my teens, 14, 13, 15, around there. And here we are. Pretty amazing trip we've had since then. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and usually I, when I, I ask people, hey, you know, talk about where you come from quickly and kind of where you grew up and we don't spend a lot of time there because most people didn't really do anything significant that had any long-term impact on their lives when they're like eight, nine, ten years old, right? But for you, I mean, when you were eight, nine, ten years old, shit was already crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, shit was pretty much crazy from the start. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just kind of pull a little something here out of the book. Just to give a little bit of background. This is from Harley's book, Hardcore Life of My Own. I was born at San Francisco General Hospital on March 8th, 1967, at the start of the summer of love. My mom's name is Rose Marie Fellew. 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 And my dad's name was Harley Wayne Walker Flanagan. My mom was a hippie. My dad was a drifter. And somehow their paths crossed before the hippie days, my mom was into all the early rock and roll stuff, Motown, and pretty much all the music that was happening when she was young. Her father, Juan Feliu. Yes, Juan Feliu. Juan Feliu came from the DR, the Dominican yes. Republic, came to America through Ellis Island by himself when he was in his early teens and was, the first, was one of the first Dominicans to join the United States Army. Served in World War II where he played in the military band. That's how he got his citizenship, by serving in the military. He was one of the funniest people I ever knew. He worked all kinds of different jobs, everything from building a building super to a longshoreman. He was a charming guy with a thick Spanish accent. So that's the beginnings. Do you speak any Spanish? Uh, curse a little bit. That's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> so you got that going yeah, for you. Yeah. Now you continue on. My mom was a go-go dancer. And like so many people, she was caught up in the whole drug culture of the 60s. And when I was a kid, she was still a stripper. I remember going to work with her a few times when I was little. That was weird, looking back on it now. There was even a short period of time when she was a dominatrix. But that was later. My dad left home for good around the same age as me, maybe 14 or 15, and started riding freight trains. He liked to live from moment to moment, and from everything I've heard, he had a serious drug and alcohol issues most of his life. He was always in and out of prison. It's hard to accept that your dad chose heroin and alcohol over you. It really does kind of hurt even now. I guess that might be one of the reasons why I turned out the way I did. My mom and me did a lot of hitchhiking and stayed with a lot of different people. A lot of crazy shit happened on those trips. At one point, a friend of hers was going to Europe and asked, do you want to come? And my mom was like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. She did, and I went with her. I was probably around three or four. That was that. I never saw my father again. I stayed in Europe pretty much until I was about 10, but I'd come back to the States every year or so. We settled down in Denmark, 1971. Denmark and Danish culture are very wholesome. It's a great place to grow up, but of course there's an underside too. In the 60s, 
and in my case, the late 60s and 70s, it was cool in certain aspects and wasn't so cool in others. You had all these people fucked up on drugs and all the free love, everybody's fucking everybody, and it's not really the best environment for a kid to grow up in. And as cool as some of the things and a lot of the people were, a lot of them were, at least some of them, were just fucking lost. And yeah, all the kids were wild. What do you expect? I mean, we were just imitating the grown-ups. So as a result, I was getting laid and doing all kinds of other crazy shit before I'd even reached puberty. You basically had a lot of little kids just going off. You got all these hippie kids with their hippie parents, seeing all kinds of craziness, adults running around naked, people doing drugs, being insane. That shit rubs off on kids. Damn. Yeah. Did you completely think that was normal at the time? Was that just the way the world was? Well, that's the way my world was. Um, I didn't realize really that we were so uh, different from the rest of society uh, until my parents tried to put me into a regular school. And uh, of course, I started getting fucked with a lot by the kids because I had long hair and, you know, I didn't. I didn't really fit in, and uh, my parents looked like freaks, and that was when it really hit me. And it was also, I went from being at that hippie school to being in a very strict school in Denmark, which was like real old school and very rigid, so it was total... Uh, Culture shock yeah, for you. Yeah, it was like, what the fuck, you know? And um, so I started cutting school a lot and going back to the free school to visit all my friends there and just hang out. And that free school, know? that's that's where you started music? Is that, that's where you started playing Pretty music? Pretty much. You know, I mean, I was always into music, but that was really the first place that facilitated it. You know, like they... That was one of the cool things about that school was um, they really uh, pushed the arts. You know, they, they whatever the kids interests were they would give you the ability to pursue that unfortunately they were also very lax so if like you didn't have the interest in pursuing math or whatever they'd be like oh well you know he's just not interested in it you know he wants to be a musician and and it's like you know as me as we all know as parents it's like no fuck that you need to <laughs> you need to know how to do your math you need to know your shit you need to have, you know how to use your brain you know it's yeah. not just about you know gratifying your artistic and creative interests because that's not going to always pay your fucking bills yeah so no but it was it was cool it was it, it was cool in certain ways like right. i said you know they uh my math teacher uh he, he was actually from the states he was from the bronx and uh he was a jazz drummer and played stand-up bass and he really was a big inspiration on me musically and uh so you know it gave me some tools you know, yeah. that came in handy later in life. Yeah, for know. sure. So you were listening to, actually got your first gig then, like like you were playing little Santana covers and yeah. Cool in the Gang covers when you were six band. or seven yeah, in your was, school that, band. Yeah, my school band was cool. Well, they were legit. Yeah, yeah, no, they were fucking legit. <laughs> I mean, we were like, you know, yeah. funky stuff. You know, I mean, we were playing, the like I said, the... Um, my math teacher, he was one of the band leaders. So, you know, you got a guy from the Bronx who's a jazz dude. He's going to be teaching all these little Danish kids musically what's really going on. Right. Because in Denmark at the time, things like, you know, ABBA oh. was what was big, <laughs> you know. So, you know, I mean, so it was like, what the fuck, you know. So, yeah, my school was cool as far as music and, and uh, counterculture and all that shit. But then, you know, then 
well, as as you may have seen in the book, really, then uh, when uh, my mother, of all people, turned me on to the Sex Pistols, that's what really... Uh, that changed everything yeah. for me, you know. <laughs> Thanks, a, mom. That was a, that, <laughs> that was a, that was an eye opener. Oh yeah, the, uh, yeah, when you heard the Sex Pistols. Album. Oh yeah, yeah, it changed everything for me. And and at that time, like you got one section here where you said, "I, I remember coming off stage. You were playing with the band. The, the I think the school band at this point. I remember coming off stage one night and these girls, no, there, that, yeah, no, that no. I was hanging out with. They were like, you know, that lady you came with, which yeah. was your mom. She's in the bathroom. She's not feeling too good." I went in the bathroom and my mom was throwing up all over the place. That kind of shit was a kind of come down. Yeah. Back was, to reality. That, you have to walk sucked. your mom home. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's fucked up, you know, little things like that. They stay with you forever. But, um, you know, to, to her, uh, she, she did sober up eventually. And, you know, she's, she sobered up for about in the eighties until the day she died, she was clean and, uh, you know, yeah, you know, people fall victim to drugs, to alcohol, and uh, sometimes it's hard to pull yourself out, you know. But eventually she did, you know. Unfortunately, I had to witness a lot of real um, ridiculous shit. But, um, you know, I don't think there's such a thing as a perfect parent, you know. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. And your mom... She did, like you said, she gets you the Sex Pistols album. Yeah. And, and like you said in here, you said, well, that was that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's almost kind of it's what I was saying. Here we go, going to your book here. Until that point, I hung around with all these little hippie kids. I had long-ass hair, so we were really already little freaks. We'd walk around the streets. People would give us looks and trip out on us. Our parents and teachers had long hair and beards and shit like that. But then punk rock came about. And this was more appropriate for me. It wasn't all peace and love. It was just more me. The music was raw and the imagery and the craziness appealed to me. It was energetic. And a big factor for me was you didn't have to aspire to be Jimi Hendrix. You didn't have to be Carlos Santana. So you, you would listen to that music and you'd say, you know what? I can just play it. I, I can, have to be I, that I good. Can, I can do this. You, you can play that I now. Can do this. I can have fun and do this shit. <laughs> like this is... You know, you don't need to rack your brain to figure out how to do this. You could just do it. Yeah. You know? Get your power cords on. Yeah, man. You know? It's like, you just need sincerity, man. That's all you need, man. That's all you fucking need. You know what's funny is I I, I always tell people this about music. If you go to a guitar store anywhere in America and you put up a, a little flyer in there that says, you know, I need someone that can play every note on the following three albums, you know, and you pick complex you pick rush and heart and there and two there'll be there'll be you'll get 10 people that'll say yeah i can play all that stuff i'll play i'll play it for you right now but there's and all those guys i mean a lot of those guys unless they have that thing unless they have that sincerity that you're talking about yeah. and they have that little yeah. spark of creativity yeah. it doesn't matter how technical you are you, if you don't have yeah. that heart you could be technically amazing and have not one ounce of inspiration <laughs> in your fucking body <laughs> you know and um i mean look man you know the ramones were you know some of the worst greatest musicians ever you know those guys could barely fucking play and they wrote some so they wrote songs that are still anthems yeah. you know songs that you will still hear played at like major sports yeah. arenas or and whatever i mean you know yeah you know music's a fucking weird thing man it is yeah. it is 
And uh, you had your first band called Little Big Boss. Was yeah. that in reference to you, I'm assuming? I, you know what? Since it, you were it like must have 10 been, years old. You know, it must have been because the other two guys in the band were adults <laughs> and they named the band. So looking back, they probably named it after me because I was like, I guess, already ty- a tyrant to play with. But, uh, you know. And you were playing drums at that yeah, point? Yeah, yeah. Hammering on the drums. Yeah, man. And then you guys moved back to... Uh, Back to New York. Yeah. And you were going back and forth, back yeah, and forth to we, New York. Yeah, me and my mom, we lived in Europe, um, but we would come back every like year or year and a half or so to see uh, my grandparents and and my aunts and stuff. And so we always had that connection to New York. We always came back and mm-hmm. I, you know, and I, I was here during all like the pivotal moments in history in New York. Like, you know, I remember Son of Sam, which mm-hmm. was huge if you were here. You know, I remember the blackouts which were also huge if you hear. I remember the garbage strike, which was also insane because you had like, tw- you know, 20 foot mountains yeah. of garbage every fucking where. I mean, yeah. the city stank. I mean, you know, like I remember all the, the madness of New York. I mean, I moved back here for good in 79, like I guess fe- January or February of 79. I mo- it was like the week Sid died. Actually, the stimulators were supposed to play Max's the one weekend that he was playing and he Damn. died before the show. But um, yeah, you know, it was a much different place back then, you know, you guys know, you know, yeah. but um, you know, a lot of people who have only been here over the last 20 years, they, they have no clue. Yeah, you know? it is a different place. And, and I mean, you know, in, in the book, you got crazy pictures like you and Andy Warhol. Yeah. Because <laughs> you yeah. were just your, your, it was your aunt Denise. That was running with them. Well, no, actually, he that or is that just a random? My picture? mom actually knew him. She oh, okay. uh, had been in one of his movies when she was young, when she was like fifteen or something. And um, that picture was just taken at uh, at the class show. Like oh, I used okay. to run into people like him at different clubs and stuff. This was backstage at a Clash gig, the first time they played. In New what York. Are you, you look like you're about ten. I was uh, I was actually twelve in that picture. But yeah, I mean, I was at all the clubs all the time, you know, I mean, it it was actually, it was, uh, you know, kind of weird, you know, thinking back on it, because like, I mean, when I, when I, um, I did a thing with Anthony Bourdain a while back, and he was like, you know, he he's like, I remember standing in front of clubs like Max's and trying to get in and, you know, here come this like 12 year old kid and just like walk through the fucking door like the bouncers would just like let him in like you know like he belonged in there and I'm like who the fuck and why the fuck is this child here like who let him in and who the fuck is he and why are they serving him like he's the fucking mayor you know and uh you know thinking back it is yeah it's fucking a little strange you yeah. know I mean I was I was the youngest kid that you around on the club scene back then and then you know as time went on, you know, my band, The Stimulators, really uh, had a lot to do with it. The the crowds at the show started getting younger and younger because, like, you know, we started pulling a very young following, you know, go figure, <laughs> yeah. 12-year-old in the band. And um, people like the Beastie Boys, they started coming to see it before they were the Beastie Boys. They right. were, like, they were just fans of ours, friends of mine. They were, like, some of my best friends growing up. And... And then a lot of other people who went on to start a lot of the first wave of New York hardcore bands mm-hmm. were fans of the Stimulators, kids who were all like, you know, in their early teens when they used to see us play. And then they went on to start a lot of the bands that um, 
you know, set off that next how long, wave. How long did you play with the stimulators for? Uh, I had only played with them from like 79 to like 80, maybe the beginning of 81. And then I was done with it because at that point I had already, you know, the bad brains had come to New York and I was already, and I was, all that first hardcore that mm -hmm. came out from, you know, Black Flag to Circle Jerks, to Minor Threat, and of course bands like Discharge from overseas, from England, you know, and all that shit was starting to really, uh, take over my my uh my soul <laughs> and uh so i was like you know what i can't play with the fucking stimulus anymore this shit is too poppy it's too like it's happy yeah. it's just not it's not where i am and at that point i had already you know the life i was living on the streets and the life that uh the other band members were living was not really the same i was just hitting my teens and uh, as we all know, that's when the problems begin. <laughs> you know, that's when you start getting in trouble. So, yeah. And the music that I started writing really reflected the um, the feelings that I, that I was having, and uh, you know, the because of the not just the environment, but just you know everything leading up to that point had had created this person. Yeah. And. Uh, and it was a really violent neighborhood. Yeah, you know? it was a really violent neighborhood, and I, I ate a lot of shit for being white, and um, which I, is ironic because you know I'm quarter Dominican and I'm Cherokee and I'm Choctaw. But if you look at me, especially you know in all Puerto Rican neighborhood, I'm a white boy. <laughs> you know, so I really ate a lot of shit. I really, uh, you know, until I started fighting, and actually started getting more. I hate to say it, but started getting more violent that started to earn me a little bit of respect and uh, I guess the fear and the credibility kind of went hand in hand. Like when pe you know, people knew that they couldn't fuck with me, I started getting respect. And uh, I don't really think that's a, a really healthy for a young mind to associate popularity with violence and uh, aggression, you know? Yeah, and, and I mean, New York at that time, and like you said, and I, I used to come down to New York sometimes when I was younger, and it was completely different, you yeah, know, in the yeah. in the mid-80s, yeah, yeah. uh, and you were there earlier than that, but for me in the mid-80s when you'd come down here, it was completely different. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting here right now in Times Square. Times Square was... fucking nuts It was nuts, here, man. nuts man. There was like, yeah. you take two, every two steps, somebody be offering you drugs, you know. Yeah, I used to come here when I'd cut school and just watch people get pickpocketed watch the hookers turning tricks and the guys selling drugs and the people getting into trouble and yeah it was it was madness. it was crazy it was a fucking free-for-all it was crazy <laughs> it was really and where you were living you were living there was yeah it was just way, gang way central. worse it was way worse i mean i was talking to ice t the other day we were talking about you know some of our experiences and uh just in my area alone i mean there was about five or six gangs within a, a you know 10 15 block distance <laughs> You know everything from the hitmen on my block who were who were fucking really out of control to the Hell's Angels on Third Street, who back then were like legitimately no fucking joke. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I could tell you some fucked up stories, but you know, you could tell me fucked up stories <laughs> too. So where, where does that go? It goes into, uh, you know, uh, just it's it's hard to. Uh, 
if people go to New York now, it's just completely different. Yeah, it really yeah, is, yeah. man. It really no, is it's different. it's impossible to really get it. I mean, the best thing you could do is look at like some old movies that kind of yeah. try to capture the. the and you the got vibe. some pictures in the book that show yeah. the neighborhoods. Yeah, and they're yeah. you can tell you can tell they look like a war zone. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't know, but uh, they look as close to what They look like a war zone. Yeah. You can take it from me yeah. on that one. <laughs> they look like a war zone. I mean, dude, I was living in a squat. We literally had no running water, no windows, no so doors. So how old were you when you, like, moved out uh, you're I, on your own living I left in squats? home when I was, like, 14, you know, because basically I was getting into so much trouble in school that they were about to basically take me from my mother and put me in, like, Spotford. And I was like, fuck this. You know, I had lost interest in school and, and all of that shit. Yeah. It's actually funny. I, something I wanted to tell you. Um, when I was 15, actually, just right down there, there was a recruiting center. Mm. Army, Marines, Navy, the whole bit. And when I was 15, I I tried to enlist in the Marines, you know, because, like, I, at, at that point, I was already, I was very... I guess I had a lot of pent-up aggression, you know. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, I just want to fucking, you know... I probably shouldn't say this. It probably sounds bad for the military, but I just wanted to kill. <laughs> I, was just, I just wanted to fucking kill, and I wanted to be able to. Like, I just was so fucking, ah, you know, and it didn't help that my mother was a hippie. So, you know, just it's natural for a teenager to rebel against yep. everything their parents believe in. I mean, I had, like, fucking recruiting you know, catalogs and shit under my bed, whereas most kids probably had, you know, their Playboys and shit. Like, my mom would find my military <laughs> recruiting shit and be like, what is this? You know, right. instead of, like, holding up the fucking, you know, penthouse, what is this? She's like, I didn't raise my son to be no soldier. Get out of her fucking hippie fucking There's a, there's a lot of like, guys in the military. Man, so, you know, I'm like, fuck this. Through the years, you're you know? 100% right, because through the years, there's so many guys in the military, and you meet some guy, and you're like, hey, how's it going? You, you know, you learn their last name at first but then you know you get to know him a little bit and you're like you know oh what's your first name and they'll be like oh my first name is rainbow <laughs> you know or, my first name is you know ocean and, and then they go yeah my parents were hippies you know and and so many kids rebelled against their hippie parents they're like i'm going in the marine corps i'm going in the army dude. i'm going i'm going in the in, in the seal teams that's uh very common so you're 100 right it's a good uh, yeah. good way to rebel and i even say this you know for me you know, hardcore was a rebellion. No, yeah, and and going in the military for well, me was a rebellion against the the norm. You know, was everyone's going to a? Hey, I'm gonna go be a hippie, smoke dope, uh, go to college, get a job, and I was like, no, I'm gonna go be a commando and just get yeah, after it. Fuck, you know, yeah, dude. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what? It's fucked up because it's like, had I followed those instincts, you know, I mean. You know, in some ways, my life would have been probably a million times better. You know, I would have had a lot more, you know, uh, discipline. I would have had a lot more focus. I would have had more positive shit, you know, going on. I would have learned some skills and shit. But at the same time, I wouldn't have fucking written Age of Quarrel. I wouldn't yeah. have written Best Wishes. I wouldn't have influenced uh, people like you to be, you know, to go above and beyond <laughs> what the fuck I could ever fucking try to do. You know, so it's like I feel like in... In my own way, I, I managed to do my service to, you know, humanity, if you will. <laughs> you know, although it was a disservice in a lot of ways because I did inspire a lot of people to do a lot of really fucking wrong shit, you know. But 
But nonetheless, the inspiration that it was real, it was genuine. I think that's why 30 years later, people still give a fuck about that record and and people are still out making money on that record. And, you know, people still cover songs off that record, you know, and and it's funny because I was telling you earlier, I mean, that lineup that played on that record only lasted for one fucking record, you know, it's amazing how short the stars a period of time. Yeah, for that short yeah. Of time. You know, and it's like, and, and you know, it was something special because still now, thirty years later, people are still talking about it. And not many people can say that based on one fucking album. Yeah, that's, you know, so that's good shit. I got. I'm just gonna go like we're talking about your neighborhood. This is just kind of a sample of what you were living around and in. Back to the book. I remember one night lying there, hearing some chick down the street getting raped. Yeah. And knowing there was really nothing to do. It was like a helpless feeling. You knew that if the cops got called, it wouldn't matter because they probably wouldn't show up. And if they did, it would be too late and they probably wouldn't find her. Yeah. One night, my mother's then boyfriend got the tip of his nose almost shot off by a zip gun. He has a scar to this day. Just because he was white, looked a little freaky, and was walking down our block. I remember coming home one night, and my aunt and my my aunt and Ann Gustafson, the stimulator's bassist, got jumped by six dudes with golf clubs and shit, trying to pull her guitar out of her hands. You don't really think about a group of guys jumping two chicks and a kid, but that shit happened. They didn't give a fuck. You've got to figure a lot of these guys would hang out and huff glue and shit. And when you huff glue and you smoke a lot of dust, you get pretty grim and lean towards violence. Yeah. So there's your there's your surroundings, there's your environment. Yeah. I mean it's you know, it's I'll tell you, man, it's it's uh it's almost harder to hear it being read back to me now. Especially in your voice. But uh <laughs> but it's like, you know, it's real and it, it brings back a, a, a serious emotional response in me you know you know as I, I was reading that I was just thinking to myself because you, you and I you know in the scene there was always guys that had dogs right and mm-hmm. pit bulls everyone had pit bulls mm-hmm. and as I was reading that you know you and I both know if you take a pit bull and you bring it up and you beat it and you torture it and you hurt it, that dog's going to be a mean, evil bastard. And if that dog's brother can get brought up and get fed and get taken care of and, you know, sleep and gets treated good, and that, that dog's going to grow yeah. up and be nice. And, you know, I'm just thinking you, you, you take a, a person, a human being, and you put them in an environment where that's what they're living with and that's yeah. what they're seeing and that's what's around them, they're going to tend towards that direction. Yeah. And it's going to be hard to break out of that shit. It is, you know. And uh, it's, you know, look around at the world, man. You know, look at all the all the fucking ghettos everywhere. Look at all the, you know, all the, you know. A lot of people don't get outside of this country, you know, yeah. to live here. So people don't realize how well they have it. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And even, you know, I used to laugh. I was talking to my friend Melly Mel, and uh, we were saying, I was saying, you know, I don't even understand what the fuck's up with all that like West Coast gangbang and shit. I mean, these guys, they first of all, they don't even have to deal with winter, okay? <laughs> you know. Second of all, they all got like yards, 
and garages and fucking barbecues and shit. Yeah. Like we grew up in like apartments with fucking rats and roaches and you know concrete everywhere. Yeah. And you know what the fuck are you so pissed about that you need to go and, and shoot at each other and kill each other? You that fucking bored? Like it's just yeah. You know, <laughs> it is an interesting dynamic here in New York City. The way it is, yeah, it's really intense. It's, it's. I mean, even now that it's like you know, soft as fucking baby shit, <laughs> it's still intense. Yeah, you know, yeah. I like. I, I just, I feel confined when I'm here. You know, yeah. now, now yeah, that I, yeah, now, yeah. now that I've grown up, when I come here, and I live in Cal, I live yeah, in California. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you're right, I got a yard, <laughs> and I got a barbecue, See that shit? and and my neighbors have yards, and and, and they say could, good morning, yeah, they say, hey, what's going on, and and it's it's like you just you have space, man. Yeah, space yeah, yeah. is a real thing, and animals, you know, you can't put an animal in a little tiny cage; they get pissed off, yeah, and that's what man. you do with eight million people in New York. Yeah. Put them in little tiny cages. They start getting pissed off. Yeah, it's, especially uh, when you know the good majority of them are broke as shit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this whole time, as you're doing this, at the same time, you're still you're listening to music. You're yeah. you're going to shows all the time, mm-hmm. and like you said, the bad brains show up. You yeah, know, that, that was a changer. That was a game changer. They were as groundbreaking as as far as for me. They. They sh- they rocked my world as much as like the Sex Pistols like that they, they yeah. it was like all of a sudden it was a new chapter I uh you know the, I, the way you wrote you wrote about the Bad Brains so the Bad Brains for those of you that don't know is a band from DC and they were pivotal in changing music really a generation of music and there's all kinds of bands that reference them like mm-hmm. big bands yeah. that reference the Bad Brains but here's what you said about the Bad Brains well, one especially thi- one thing, go ahead just for those who don't know. They were not only one of the innovators of, of what we call hardcore punk, but they were all black. And they were from DC. And it you know, there was not many black kids on the scene. There always was black kids on the scene. Yeah. There was always Puerto Ricans. It was always everybody. You know, we always it was always mixed diversity on the scene. But they were like the best. They were the tightest. They were the best. They were the fucking they were the shit, man. And a lot of times when people first heard their first 45, you know, just because of the the style of the music, people didn't yeah. even know they were black. And they'd go see them and they'd be like, oh, shit, these guys are black. Now, that may not seem like a big deal now, but we're talking about fucking 19, you know, 80. Yeah. You know, and yeah, they were just the fucking, they were the shit, man. And then they got into Rastafarianism and that, you know, even further made it even more bizarre. A bunch of fucking Rastas from D.C. playing hardcore. Yeah. You know, what the fuck is that? And playing it better than everybody, like fucking smoking motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, You know, I think if you got to see the Bad Brains back in the day, you're lucky. And I mean, I, I remember seeing the Bad Brains and just being... You just—it's just sick. I, I mean, it's—it'd be like seeing James Brown back when he had Bootsy Collins on bass, like back in the old, like when he was like all over the. F- I always used to liken HR to like James Brown meets Johnny Rotten. Yeah, you know. Here, here's what you say. Back to the book. You hear a lot of crazy stories about HR. HR is the the singer from the Bad Brains, throat in the yes. Bad Brains. But as crazy as HR can act at times, back in the day, he was inspirational beyond belief. He and the Bad Brains had the entire New York hardcore scene, hardcore scene talk, 
talking like fucking Jamaicans for the longest time. Everybody was like, fire burn and blood clot. <laughs> yeah. It was hysterical. Bands like the mob were so heavily influenced by them that the bass player started growing dreads and wearing a Rasta hat. A whole contingent of white Rastas started popping up on the hardcore scene. They took things to another level. It was impossible not to be inspired by the Bad Brains. The only way to describe HR would be like James Brown meets Johnny Rotten meets Bob Marley. He was such a dynamic front man. HR could do a standing backflip and land right at the end of the song, nail it right at the last beat. It was like, oh my God, did he just plan that? I remember one time at A7, which was a tiny club, within the first two minutes or so of their show, he had already knocked the sheetrock ceiling out and bent the mic stand in half. The amount of explosive energy that would come out of that motherfucker, you couldn't help but be blown away. Especially since we were all young, and here was this guy that was in shape. He used to be a javelin thrower back in high school. He was always athletic, so you had a bunch of scrawny punk rock motherfuckers, and then this dude's up there that was an athletic powerhouse going completely apeshit. <laughs> and he could sing his ass off, and he could hit notes. HR came out there with a purpose, like he was on a mission. Every show I saw of theirs back then was amazing. I remember I saw him up in Boston one time, and he was like going, he, there was... I guess like fire pipes or whatever, uh, uh, sprinkler pipes, mm -hmm. and he's leaping up and swinging on those things yeah. and jumping off in the crowd. Yeah. It was nuts. He was a motherfucker, nuts. man. He spent half the show in the crowd. Yeah. Like he he was, yeah, you know, <laughs> the, the, you can't, you can't, <laughs> you just can't even, you know. Yeah, man, they were something. Everybody has that moment, though, that, that, period where they really you know well not everybody but everybody who's like intense you know you know you think about your life you can think of that one period where you were just mm -hmm. on fucking point yeah. you know and they it started were, when i was like 16 and it ended like last week it didn't last that quite that long for <laughs> some of us but <laughs> But yeah, there was a period when they were just fucking untouchable. And and you know? have you seen HR now? Yeah, I've seen him over the few. Have past you few actually years. like seen him? Talk to him? I last time I spoke to him and and he came out to my house was probably around 2011 or 2010. And you know he's definitely, you know he's he's got some issues. Yeah, you know, he he yeah. has suffered some serious. He he has like. Um, mental issues you know yeah. i mean i don't know what his diagnosis is i'm not going to stand here and pretend to know no. but it's you know it's, but you can tell there's a, a clear change between yeah, that guy yeah, from back yeah, in the day yeah, to absolutely. the guy now there's something that's there's definitely clearly there's something a clearly psychological wrong, difference you know and I, I you can't just blame it all on drugs because you know some of us have done plenty of them and are fine. So I mean, yeah. it's some, you know, no, it's it, there's there's something in it. Yeah, you know, and, and it's really it's really sad. Playing. You know, they're playing. Sometime well, you know, I don't I don't know Chicago I don't know when or what they're doing and playing. I mean, and God bless them. You know, I mean, uh, Doctor No. You know, he suffered a stroke and a heart attack, and he had to like learn how to use his hand again and and, and everything. I actually did a benefit uh, show us a, a, a record that's available on. Um, Pledge Music, it's the only place you can get it. You can't even buy it in stores, and 48% and of the music goes to help him, just help him. Awesome. You know, to whatever he needs help with, you know, because God knows he's... Pledge Music? Yeah. And what do you, you just search Pledge yeah, Music? Yeah, Pledge Music, Harley Flanagan, and uh, the, the song will come up. It's uh, the, one of the songs is called Friends Like You, and um, 
But anyway, yeah, I mean, they, those guys were intense. I mean, it'll never be what it was, you know. I'm, I'm glad that they're, you know, doing their thing or, you know, whatnot. But, yeah. but I think uh, my memory of them is from that period. Yeah, yeah. And you, you probably saw, how many times did you see them? It's uh, unlimited to 100 fucking, dozens. I have no idea. I yeah. saw them so many times. I saw them out on the West Coast and, you know, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah. I saw them in Tijuana. Oh, really? Yeah, but HR wasn't with them. Uh, so it was kind of yeah. like, oh, yeah, cool, yeah. but not as cool. No offense no, to the other no, dude. No, the other they, dude they, had they had, had other singers who, who yeah, were really good dudes. great dudes, great singers. But it's really hard to follow in someone like that's yeah. footsteps. I mean, it's that was really a rough possible. That's a rough follow-on yeah, shot. You know. So, meanwhile, you did a trip to England. This is the first time you saw skinheads before. Well, I saw skinheads. Or Ireland. When I, Sorry, yeah, Ireland. I got my head shaved in Ireland. I had seen skinheads one time before in London, but I didn't know what the fuck they were. I was just like, what the fuck? Like, I could tell <laughs> that there was something. They had an interesting look, like they, you know, and but the shaved head thing was what got me. And, uh, yeah, so I, I met skinheads in England in the 70s, but I got my head shaved in Belfast in 1980. And here's what they told you, going back to the book. I always remembered what the Belfast skins told me. Teach America about skinheads. The first few friends of mine to shave their heads included Adam Yotch, where you know who that is, from the Beastie Boys, and a few others who weren't really skinheads in the stereotypical thug way. They just liked the look and the music. I mean, we were all into the early oi-style music, Cockney rejects and bands like that, even though it wasn't really called oi yet. The two-tone thing was happening with all the ska bands jumping off, like the Specials and Selector and Madness, and they were all popular with the skinheads early on, but there still wasn't a skinhead scene in New York, just a few friends of mine who were up on it. But within a couple of years, all that would change. So obviously the, uh, the, the typical person when they, that doesn't follow the music scene, at least at, at a deeper level, when they think skinhead, they immediately think of sort of the... Uh, the branch that went off and, and got the most press, which was the, the neo-Nazi skinheads. <laughs> but the original, the origins of the skinheads is actually black dudes, rude boys, ska bands like the specials and madness. And that's kind of what you saw. And yeah, uh, I mean, I actually talk about a little bit of that in the book. I, give a little bit of the historical uh, information just to give people a clearer idea. Um, yeah, but you know, the media always la- latches on to whatever is most sensationalistic. You know, they try to always grab the worst aspects of of what people are doing. And, um, you know, yeah, you know, that it's, you got it, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll say one more thing. The New York scene had always been more diverse than most hardcore scenes. There'd always been Spanish kids, black kids, Asian kids. A lot of the early New York hardcore skinheads were Spanish. Yeah. Most. Roger from Agnostic Front, which if you don't know, Agnostic Front is probably, ah, they might be considered like the, oh, they're definitely one of the biggest sort of skinhead yeah. bands from the, America. And they were absolutely the first real, like, New York skinhead yeah. band, you know? I mean, but, uh, yeah, you know. And he's Cuban. He's Roger Cuban, Murray is Cuban. You know I mean, Diego was Puerto Rican, as was Jose from The Mob. And so were a lot of skinheads that came around later. Even back in the Max's days, you had the Bad Brains, Pure Hell, the Influencer, one of the first real New York hardcore bands, and they were all black. 
Yeah, I think where you just pulled up, I was just talking about the diversity on the scene in New York. Yeah, yeah. New York has always been different from other places. As you know, you you know, that's one of the things that's cool about it here. You know, <laughs> I could say you could say it's fairly diverse here in New York yeah, City. <laughs> fuck, you know. Yeah, uh, this has got to be one of the. I bet you that. I don't know, you have to look at this, but is New York City one of the most diverse places in the on the planet? It's as far as like be. different languages it's being spoken? Be. I and mean, one thing I noticed that, you know, uh, you can eat any type of food here, yeah. you know? so, so Cooked it, by it, the people that invented yeah, that know, food. Like, so, I mean, we had... That's <laughs> that moved here I, like three weeks ago. <laughs> you know, I, that's one thing I always loved about it here. You know, We you just can, had Gangnam style uh, uh, dumplings, dumplings. And sushi. Yeah, yeah, dumplings and sushi served <laughs> by, by Gangnam style. The oh, actual guy. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, it, you know, at this time, back to the book, I was drinking a lot, huffing glue, taking pills, and lots of LSD and whatever else. So this whole time, that's what's just prevalent in the scene. Yeah. Drugs. Yeah, New York was uh, very much, um, our scene liked to get fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> in DC they where they invented straight edge you know they were they were all about uh being clean and sober and and god bless them and uh you know that caught on like wildfire in in other places you know uh the straight edge movement spread and whatnot and we always went the extreme opposite we we were like we you know they had a song uh don't drink don't smoke don't fuck we used to sing, you know, we we drink, we smoke, we fuck, fuck you, you know, and um, yeah, we're a bunch of uh, fucking idiots, yeah. you know. I mean, we, you know, unfortunately, you know, at that point in my life, and in the hardcore scene, uh, it was often cool how fucked up you could be. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure it's that, that that way in a lot of the world and a lot of youth culture and, and a lot of, you know, crews and gang culture. And, and, you know, I don't mean to theorize, but I'm going to do it a little bit and philosophize <laughs> a little bit. Sure. I, you, you know, like cultures back, back in the day or, or some cultures even today, it, when you want to prove that you are will sacrifice yourself for the tribe a little bit. Like I'll go hunt that lion or I'll go out and do something that's hard and I'll take risks for the group and I'll prove that, that I'll, that I don't care what happens to me. Yeah. I, I, I should have been sometimes replaced. I think that, Hey, I'm going to prove that I don't care what's happened to me. Watch me drink yeah. this, watch me shoot this, watch me smoke <laughs> this and whatever. No, I, I agree. I think that that instinct that's still in us doesn't have a place to be used properly and i'll tell you where i got that philosophy from in the seal teams man when i came in it was like the way that you kind of proved that you were tough was drinking and fighting right yeah, drinking yeah. and you fighting take everything you, to a hey, fucking extreme well, look if you fucking drink five i'll drink ten yeah you fought two motherfuckers i'll fight fucking five motherfuckers and that's what it was yeah. and when the war started it's not like that stopped because that stuff still goes on, but it definitely, in my mind, it, in my mind, I was thinking, and we still drank and we still partied and got after it, but it was different, man. It was different to all of a sudden be saying, hey, look, you know what I need to prove myself is on the battlefield. I need to be ready for that. And so I, I, when I apply that to like all of society, it seems like a young kid like you who's 15, 16 years old, how do you prove that you're tough? How do you yeah. prove your manhood? 
oh, you think you can drink 12 you, you shots? Go, I'll drink 20. Exactly. Bring it. Yeah. And no, that's a jacked up thing. Yeah. And, and you know, you talked about like the straight edge movement and those guys, it's interesting. If well, you they think, took it to they another took level to too. They stopped fucking. Yeah. They even took, they stopped and drinking, then, smoking and, then, and fucking. And then how did they prove, how did they then prove that they were tough? They would go out and fight and beat up people that were drunk and shit like that. Well, that that's how too. it started happening in some scenes. I mean, yeah. Because like in DC, those guys were always... They always tried to be more PC. They yeah. always had a little bit more consciousness. But yeah. in a lot of other places, you had bands like, you know, I, you I got I got in trouble with uh, Ian McKay. <laughs> at, uh, <laughs> remember, when, remember when Fugazi came on the scene? Yeah, so yeah, Fugazi, yeah. one of my buddies from D.C., this is back in the day, and, and one of those guys, one of, my buddies, from, <laughs> one of my buddies from D.C., he sent me a demo tape. And he's like, hey, this is this is Ian's new band. And you're called like, Fugazi. No, I was like, cool. And yeah. that's a great album. No, that actually, first, I like, yeah, oh, it's a great like album. Them. And so we went and saw him in Brooklyn. Me and my boys, we went down to Brooklyn to see him, and we went berserk. Cause, and he wasn't feeling and it. And he was like, <laughs> and he had like longer curly hair, and and he's standing there, and he play, like they play their first song, and we just cleared out yeah, the pit yeah, and yeah. destroying and everything. He was and he, he was like, he was like, um, hey, I'm just trying to think of what he says so he knows I'm not bullshitting if he ever hears this. He said something along the lines of like, let's leave our let's leave our machoism and our egos at the door. You know, if you're gonna dance, be cool or something like that. And so then. I was like, like, dude, what do I do now? <laughs> like, your music rocks. I want to break stuff, <laughs> and I couldn't. So, we yeah, just no, I remember out. when he started going that route. And you know what? God bless him. Man. No, man, you, you know, said no, here, he, you got he, a lot of respect he, for that guy. He's fucking too. cool as yeah, fuck, man. You know, and, man. and he has always had his integrity. And as he as he matured, it, you know, his his way of uh, thinking. Yeah, you know, and you know what? You gotta yeah. respect. I mean, he yeah. held the line oh, with dude. what he did. Yeah, his man. record, he never sold dude, out. You know what? Hats off for you know, sure. He, he's fucking legit, man. For sure, I man. got nothing but for respect sure. for him. Now, at this time, I did used to break his balls fucking relentlessly, <laughs> though. But that's just the way I am. If I if I if I like someone and respect them, chances are I'm going to really fuck with them whenever I have the opportunity. Yeah, you know. So yeah, um, so fuck you. Yeah, I hear you, man. <laughs> Uh, the at that time you you kind of came up with the name of the Chromags. Yeah. You came yeah, up with yeah. the Chromags name, and you started like tagging everything with yes, Chromags, writing it yeah, everywhere. Yeah, and you just you had a kick ass band. It was like when we talked about my first hardcore band called Bronson's Children. First thing we did, no music, we yeah, made yeah. T-shirts. Yeah, no, you, you got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're thinking merchandise. <laughs> So we, you know, that's what we did. But yeah. and you were doing the same thing. You just yeah, we're only right difference is you could actually way. play music, and yeah. I was just yeah, an yeah, idiot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let me see where we're going with this one. So you start, you start coming, putting together the, the band, and then things started getting a little bit crazy. You beat someone up who's some friend of someone else, and all of a sudden you heard that you had like a price on your head. That was actually before the Chromags really. Uh, was, yeah, it's pre yeah, It's yeah, like you yeah, made up the name, yeah, but you were nothing yeah. yet. Yeah, uh, that's actually why I wound up um, heading out to California. I had to take a little break from my neighborhood. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty intense, man. This dude. Um, all right, there was a gang on my block called the Hitmen. And this is back in, you know, I remember them from the 70s through to the 80s. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is when they still used to wear colors, you know, patches on there. In fact, the, the Puerto Rican gangs looked more like 
bikers like puerto rican bikers without bikes mm -hmm. back then like they all had like patches and jeans and like mc boots and you know they'd wear like the f true pats and it was total old school you know like you know uh wolf tails and shit you know lots of fur collars this is like ridiculous shit if you look on old youtube and, and old <laughs> photos of new york gangs you'll be like oh okay that's what he's talking about yeah. anyway yeah, these guys were fucking, they were no joke. And they, one of the hitmen was Pigman, and he, you know, they did hits. They, they weren't called the hitmen, you know, because they, you know, wrote hit songs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, you know, they, besides selling heroin, they, they did hits. And uh, Pigman, I'd known about him my whole childhood. He was like a, a Lower East Side myth, like, you, you know, everybody had heard of him, but no one knew, you know, because if you saw him, that was most likely the last thing you saw, you know, but he would wear a pig's mask. That's why he was called pig's ma pig man. And he would pull up in his blue Nova and fucking blast you with a shotgun. And it was that simple. And uh, they actually kicked in a friend of mine's door and put shotties in people's mouths and guns to their heads. Where's Harley in one of the skinhead apartments looking for me? And uh, they came to my squat and uh, pulled someone into a corner and put knives to their throats, which apartment's Harley in. And Pigman was cruising by my friends with the mask on and didn't see me, so kept driving, I guess. So it was real. And uh, I'm like, I was, you know, I was like fucking 15, you know? I mean, I'm 15. I got fucking Pigman looking for me. I mean, that's fucking no joke. This is Pigman, motherfucker, you know? Big man, you know, and uh, I'm like telling the locals I'm on block. I'm like, shit, man, my mother lives on 12th Street. You know what the fuck? I know uh, what about her? Oh, oh, don't worry about your mom. Everybody loves your mom. This, this, this is not personal, man. There's money on involved. You know, it's, it's business. But you should get out of here, man. You should hang low. These were your Puerto Rican brothers telling you this. Yeah, like, like the guys like, from the block, just yeah. people who knew me from school, like people like, you know, my yeah. friend's uncles and shit like yeah. that, you know, like, dude, you should get the fuck out of here. So I'm like, you know what? I think I will. Yeah. So, and that's just that's because you beat somebody up. Yeah, I, I, I used to I used to get in a lot of fights and I used to also, you know. Yeah. I beat someone up, and it turned out he was uh it, it was this guy who was uh one a cl uh, owner of one of the after hours clubs gotcha. on the Lower East Side, mm -hmm. and a lot of these after hours clubs like you know Save the Robots and the Pyramid and all these other places they had like no they like they were the late night freak clubs where everybody'd yeah, go yeah. like till six in the morning and they would all be doing blow and doing coke so I guess that's how they knew the hitmen because they all used to all the club freaks used to buy all their drugs from the Puerto Ricans in the neighborhood so we were kind of fucking up their business too because we were like fucking up all the all the new freaks that were starting to come to the Lower East Side all the new white people that we were like you know well, fuck we just made this motherfucking neighborhood safe now you motherfuckers all think you just is gangbusters like you're all just a flood this fucking fuck this it's our neighborhood now yeah, yeah, yeah you know so yeah you know i was an asshole i mean i you know i have to admit that you know looking back if you know if you're ever gonna man up you have to be able to say yes i was an asshole mm. you know but that shit uh yeah pig man was no joke and i went to california the shit died off i came back Dude, you went to California, and I was reading that part of the book, and I was yeah. like, what in God's name is going on? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, talk about the bats. Yeah, man. I, Bro. We, we were living in an abandoned brewery, 
uh, there was, you know, a couple hundred kids living there probably. We were all living in the actual vats that they used to have, the, the, the yeah. like, rubber-coated square rooms, like with a manhole to get in and out of. And, you know, we were living in the air vents. And, yeah, it was fucking crazy, man. And everybody was fucked up on drugs. Everybody was a runaway. Everybody was, you know, it was... Um, what amazes me about the 80s is the lawlessness you know, in New York and in San Francisco, you know, like you could really get away with just about fucking anything and there would be like no police involvement, no repercussion, you know. I mean, you'd get into a fight and the shit could go on for half a fucking hour, like from one area to another and back and forth, you know, a gun full fight. Yeah, like, I mean, you'd fucking start fighting on Avenue A, you'd end up on First Avenue over on 7th Street, then back over to 8th Street and back down to Avenue A. And it's like mad screaming and, you know, stabbings and bottles breaking and no cops, you know? Yeah. And, and <laughs> it was like, yeah. you know? I mean, shit happens now, man. You fart too fucking loud on the street here and you get arrested. You know? It's like, yeah. I, I just, how, so how, you're 15 years old? You're living yeah. in, a, in, a, in a vat yeah, yeah. in San Francisco with a bunch of everyone's Fucked runaways, drugs, speed. Everybody's meth. crystal meth fucking shooting crystal left, right, front, and center, dropping uh. liquid acid in their eyeballs. Yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> How's that? How's that even like, how do you process uh, that? Uh, and the other weird thing is, is like you're surviving. Like, yeah, you, you know, you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're getting food somehow, right? Yeah. You're stealing food. Shoplifting and panhandling and mugging people. Just, you know, yeah. Figuring it out. Figuring it out. And that's what everyone in this vat, these vats yeah. are doing. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was only a couple of us that were out mugging people because there was only like me and Mark Dagger and, and a couple other people who were like, hard asses everybody else was either out panhandling or turning tricks you know Damn, it was like you, you you know you were either out mugging someone sucking a dick or, or begging for change you know and um and we, did you just think like okay this is what life is like yeah that's what life was like <laughs> you know i mean you know, i remember like eating at soup kitchens you know with like adults and i'm like 15 and and that being weird and like almost getting into fights with like dudes who were like ex-cons and you know like dudes who had just got out of prison who were like to them they were still in the prison lunchroom you know and to me i'm just like trying to you know get some food you know and uh yeah it was it was pretty intense you know i mean but to be fair, I had a great fucking time, you know. I mean, I had a, a lot of fun, you know. The, the the debauchery, the violence, the drugs. I had a fucking blast. I, would I recommend any of it? No. Would I wish it on my kids or my worst enemies? No. Did I have a great time? Yes. <laughs> you know, I had how I fucking made it. I don't know, but you know. I guess it's. I guess is that like when people talk about? Well, when people say to me, oh. I think this is the same thing because I'm sitting here going, "How can that be fun?" But I guess people yeah, ask, no, dude. People yeah, ask me about yeah. like being. No, no think in, about the yeah. most intense situations yeah. you've been in. It's like the adrenaline, the fucking ah, like dude. The last time I got in like a real fucking crate. No, not the last time. The third or fourth to last time I got in a really bad, violent situation. Like 
uh, the one it's in the book when I got had like that I fucked up this dude who was in a gang and the next thing I know I got like 30 dudes fucking coming after me with pipes bats blah 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 smashing out our windows and I'm running into the crowd of them to save a friend of mine now see like dude I was fucking like high for like a week <laughs> off of the adrenaline and then when I finally came down I was like whoa what the <laughs> fuck was that man I could have died you know but like for literally a week after that shit i was just like yeah like fucking bring it you know and 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 you know that's like but that's the difference between certain type of people like you know i will run into a fucking violence to save a friend yeah and a lot of fucking people that i grew up with will fucking punk out i've seen people that i respected fucking run and leave their friends behind yeah, it's, and it's some real pussy shit especially when they're trying to be all badass skinhead tattoos and oh, i'm this i'm that you ain't nothing but a bitch you know and um hey man and uh, you know and that's one reason why i'm really fucking proud to be here you know because it's like you guys one of the things i respect the most is someone who will put themselves on the line for someone else like when you will put your own life at risk for another person, there's nothing uh, more admirable than that. So hats off to you guys and to all all the military out there, you know, serving this country and serving their brothers, their sisters, their families and everybody, you know, hats off, man. It takes a lot of fucking balls and I respect. And I'm not, you know, even law enforcement, you know, and I'm not a big fan of the police in many circles. I've I've become friends with a lot of cops since I started doing jujitsu. <laughs> jujitsu changes a lot of things for the positive. But but, <laughs> but however, you know, I still have my reservations. But I respect again anybody who is willing to put their life on the line for others and for the greater good. You know, and there's really nothing higher. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, like obviously, I I. I, mean, I work with the police, and they're the, they're the same way, man. They're they're and they got a they got the, one of the hardest jobs in the whole no, world. No, no, look, I I say that with you know a little yeah. bit of tongue in cheek. Nah, you know, I, I mean, it's you. like I've grown up always being on the shitty end of the stick when it comes to the cops, and you know, still to this day, even like when I'm trying to get something achieved and accomplished, and I try to go to them for guidance, they still look at me like they they want to slap the cuffs on me more than fucking <laughs> help me out, you know. So you know, but you know, we're I gonna make you some but, friends. We're gonna but, make you some But, but I do friends. understand, you know, I. I what they deal with on a regular basis so i i get it but i also think that a lot of people are attracted towards lines of work that give them a, a, a position where they can abuse their position you know i think that happens I, that's, with some that's people, in human race but, though i mean but it's not it's like uh go do a ride along with some cops man oh, it dude, is no, I, it is i couldn't do it man like no, I, cops is just they what they deal with on a day-to-day basis, what it does to their brain no, over time. I mean, it's, man, it, look, it's, it, you it's know, a hard-ass job. It's a hard-ass job. People don't understand. I mean, it's like there's a certain level of, uh, you know, once you've seen some, some shit, you're always on that edge. Yeah. You know, and that fight, that fight or flight, you know, and unfortunately, they don't have the choice. They have no choice yeah. but to deal with they gotta it. They got to fight. So, they gotta you know, do. They so... Got, and they got to protect... 
You know, to, uh, of course, you see, oh, all we, we always see the negative thing of yeah, cops beating but, someone but, down. But they're but trying to work within certain guidelines, and that makes 99% of the time, they're they're going, no, hey, sir, please put the bat down, put the knife down. That's yeah. what they're doing 99%. Yeah, yeah. It nah, sucks. You know, it sucks. It's a hard-ass job. Hard-ass yeah, job. But, you know, again, I got, I, you know, I also got to play, uh, I got to keep my one foot grounded in the streets. I still have my, you yeah. know. You were, uh, yeah. you're conditioned yes. from your yes. childhood yeah. Yeah. that the man you were, is you were on the other side. You were on the other side, man. <laughs> exactly. You were on the other side. And so now that's how you're conditioned. They hate us. We hate <laughs> just, just like when they, when they see you. Well, I don't know if they see, see you now. Well, you, you know, yeah, things are a little different now, but you know, yeah. hey, you know, what the fuck are you going to do? <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what I do. When the cops tell you to do something. Oh, I do it. I yeah, don't fuck around. Go. I'm like, look, officer, no problem. Not, not, no, no problem. Yeah, that's how you, that's how you, you make know. friends, yeah, man. Yo, I see my we stupid gonna... fucking friends who are like, yo, fuck that, blah, blah, blah. She's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? All you had to do was say, yes, sir. How fucking difficult is that? You know, motherfucker. You that stupid? Yeah. Um, Man, we haven't even gotten to like the Cro-Mags yet, have we? Who? The Cro-Mags. Oh, yeah. Like putting together the first album. You know what I mean? Yeah. Shit. <laughs> so, you guys finally get together. Here we go. Back to the book. It had been three years since Paris and you. So, Paris, the guy, was... Uh, he was the guitarist. The guitarist yeah. from the Cro-Mags. Hooked up and started writing November 2nd, 1984. And on February 16th, 1985, the Cro-Mags went into High Five Studios on 27th Street and Park Avenue and recorded 12 songs. The Age of Coral cassette, which is released on CD called Before the Coral. Yeah, that was the original version the original of the version. album before we actually went and recorded the album, Age of Coral. So that's 84 Yeah, that that's going down. Yes. And that's a good recording. I have that yeah. one too. I, have I, that I, I actually like it a lot better than the album I was telling you before. I can't tell I if never, I, 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 the I, other I like one's so ingrained better. in my head that I expect little things that aren't there. Yeah. And so I, 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 I like the first one better because I think it's just more raw. It is more raw. You know, the, 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 this, it's more explosive. I think it's more true to what we actually sounded like when we played live, you know? Yeah. The other thing, uh, the other one had, you know, lot of production shit that i wasn't too happy about but yeah you know. so now this is where now you think the story's been crazy so far echo i'll just throw you yes. under the bus right now the story's been crazy now it goes just takes another kind of what i i consider this an even more more bizarre turn than everything we've talked about so far so going back to the book i was into vegetarianism but it took me a while to get into krishna at first, John, this is the, the singer from the Cro-Mags or one of the singers that sang in the Cro-Mags. John and me used to go to the trucks where they served free food in Tompkins Square Park, which was a big hangout back in the yeah, day. Yeah. Everyone used to go there and hang out. A lot of hardcore kids did. I mean, I was living in a squat. I was vegetarian. I had no money. And here was free vegetarian food. They also had a few preaching centers on the west side that me and John used to go to to eat. But still, it took a while for to give a fuck about what they were saying. I was there for the free food. I wasn't looking for religion. I was just hungry and trying to survive. We would always show up late. John would tell us when the good time was just to get the food after the reading and preaching and everything. But over time, I really started getting into the philosophy. In the beginning, people didn't take John and Krishna seriously. It was 
kind of something the hardcore scene laughed at. But as my friends and me started getting into Krishna, it started to change. So you guys started getting into Hare Krishna. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Which yes, yes. it's pretty fucking you know, funny looking back now. Tell me the fundamental <clears throat> philosophies. I mean, obviously Hare Krishnas are vegetarians yes. because they don't want to like hurt you know animals actually it's more to it than that that's actually not why it's because uh, now i'm gonna start fucking talking all their shit well give me a little uh, okay, bit of it's understanding like, you know, they, they only eat food that are offerable to god and you can't offer god a rotting carcass to eat okay yeah. there's there's nothing that has to do with like hey we don't want to hurt things oh uh, there's all this karmic stuff you know everybody likes to you know not make more karma for themselves, good or bad. See, that's know? what I'm saying. Like, this is why this is why it gets more bizarre to me. Yeah, because no, you're trying to bizarre. create more karma yeah, for yeah. yourself. Well, see, that's the thing is with the amount of karma I had already created for myself, <laughs> I was trying. But this is where it gets even more fucked up and twisted because you got me and my friends who were like recovering skinheads, for lack of a better way of putting it. You know, dudes who used to go out and get in like you know. 20 fights in a night, you know, put 19 people in ICU just because, you know, just walking from the east side to the west side. What you looking at? Bah! You know, fuck you ah, all night, just fucking wilding, you know, and then all that shit with Pigman and this and that. And God knows how many other things, you know, how many bodies I found and came across and, and you know, how many, how much madness I had it experienced you know like we were talking about you know it's like sometimes you know you, when you're dealing with life and death on a regular basis you know sometimes you're like you know god you start calling out to god you don't even know what the fuck god is and you're just like god help me god you know please you know guide me help it's just the call of of desperation you know and um I had never been into Christianity and this and that. I just it all just sounded like a bunch of bullshit to me. And and here I was actually hearing some things that made some sort of sense to my teenage mind. You know, karma. Ooh. You know, all these other things that like were like resonating with me, you know, and it's like I needed that shit, you know. I needed some sort of guidance and had I not had something like that. I mean, it could have been fucking Buddha. It could have been whatever, you know, but I needed something that was greater than You needed than some kind of guidance in your I life. I needed right? guidance. I needed some kind hope. of discipline. I needed hope. Oh, hope, yeah. You know? And when I started going out to their farm for a little while, like they were getting up, we were getting up at like 5.30 in the morning and meditating and watching the sun come up and like it was like this whole you know it going from like being like hunted by the gangs in my neighborhood to that it was just like I can't even really explain it it really it was like I don't know how to fucking put it, man. It was just like, it was like, here I am at peace. Like, yeah, wow, I was going to say, peace. it sounds like, like peace like, for the, the first time. Like, wow. You know, so that, but then uh, the more I was involved in it, the more I seen, you know, that people in religions in general are, are typically a bunch of fucking hypocrites. You know, you get a lot of people preaching a lot of shit that they don't all fucking follow and all rules don't really fit all people. You know, every human is different and, and not everybody can follow the same guidelines. And and when is when do things start becoming just belief, 
what the fuck is belief anyway it's just what you choose to believe you know unless it's like this is real you know this is really cutting my face that's really blood this is you know i really have to eat food and breathe air belief is just that you know and i and, uh, i still have you know my spiritual inclinations i still believe in some sort of i don't like to say the word god anymore because I don't I, I I don't have that overview that I know any fucking thing I just know uh, I know I got a lot of love in my heart for the people I care about and I know I, I want to try to do good things you know I've done enough bad things I'd like to try to prevent some people from experiencing what I experienced and at the same time I would like to share the the, the great experiences that I that I had with people you know yeah well one of the one of the great experiences and one of the things the great things that you shared with people is that that album that that album and we'll go to here going back to the book the age of coral some would call it one of the most if not the most influential New York hardcore and crossover albums it was recorded and mixed in under 100 hours over a 14-day period, January, February, 1986, at Eastside Sound by Steve Remote and Chris Williamson, our manager and so-called producer. But it was really Steve. So, 86 comes around, and you guys put together The Age of Coral. Yeah. And this is the, the one that got released on a bigger yeah, scale. Yeah, it was like the first hardcore. Is that profile? Yeah. It was I, probably one of the first hardcore records to ever be put out on a real major label like something that wasn't like discord yeah. or, or or slash records or something underground yeah and and now this is you guys are you guys are starting to get a big draw i mean huge draws yeah. outside of new york city yeah we were starting to tour at this point and doing you know we our first big break was touring with motorhead and then we got, uh, you know, we went on to play with many other metal bands at around that time. Uh, the whole crossover thing right. started happening. So, yeah, for those of you that don't know, crossover, when he's talking about that, that's the crossover from hardcore to metal and kind of combining the two of them. It was really the when the metalheads started discovering hardcore, right. when people like Metallica started wearing GBH shirts and coming to see the Chromags. Yeah. When people like Anthrax started daring to come to cbgb's yeah you know and that's really but but the hardcore band started getting more metallic too. well yeah because like metalheads started shaving their heads and getting into hardcore like the kid like yourself yeah, like kids yeah, who had been listening yeah, to yeah, van but, halen but, when they were little who started getting into hardcore but but hardcore bands started getting more metallic yeah, don't yeah. you think no no we we definitely yeah did. i mean i mean you did agnostic yeah, front did. yeah no they a lot of people a lot tried of the, to yeah. jump ship you know i uh, guess you know i don't i say that kind of jokingly but i guess you know it seemed like there was more uh, opportunity to actually make a living bigger or, audience you know, bigger audience you know actual record deals you know pantera Pantera, fucking great band. Because Pantera. I mean, one of my favorite bands, probably, you know, Dimebag, uh, fucking love that dude. Um, one of the worst tragedies imaginable uh, to uh, music is motherfucker got shot on stage, Crazy. man, by a fucking psychotic fan. I mean, it's like, you know, yeah. what the fuck, man? Yeah, that was awful. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's uh yeah i mean not to not to talk about not to get into you know the whole chromag beef and this and that but like one thing i will say is you know it really bothers me that uh Dimebag died like that and that they never because I know they would have buried the hatchet by now and they would have done an, an amazing yeah. reunion tour and they would they would have just kicked the shit out of everybody <laughs> and they'll never have that opportunity now because yeah. he was robbed from us and to know that my band are such a bunch of stubborn immature fucking old assholes that yeah. we can never actually embrace each other purely based on what we did achieve together and how many fans would be so happy you know because once once you're gone you're gone and you know it's just very rare that four or five people will have that chemistry for a moment in mm -hmm. in life so you know just based on that alone it's pretty fucking sad and pathetic you know yeah and it's a weird run that you guys had because you guys you guys you guys were on the verge. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And and when I, you know, when I remember you guys um, touring, and I didn't see you on the Age of Coral tour because that was a really fast tour and you went to yeah. Europe and I just we, didn't have yeah. the opportunity to see you. But uh, I saw you on the Best Wishes tour, which was the next album that came out. And you guys were big. I mean, yeah. you guys were, and for, we were for, just to kind of put it in perspective for people, like, I think the the places where I saw you play, and this is kind of a national brand, is the House of Blues. If you've ever been to House of Blues, I yeah, saw you at a place that was like yeah, as big as the play, House of Blues. We like, used to play there a lot. Okay, yeah, I didn't yeah. know you actually Not played really there, but yeah. like that kind of venue. So that's, in my mind, you know, that's a yeah, legit that, that's a band. That, venue. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you're playing places that size, you can make a living. And, you, and if you keep going and stay consistent, you know, you can do fairly well for yourself. But Now, now this is the... So... You know, Age of Coral comes out. You guys are popular. You tour Europe. You know, you're getting yeah. after it. You're you're filling up places. Uh, best wishes. You're filling stuff. You're headlining best wishes. But you're playing with Motorhead too. Before, yeah. You're supposed to play with Black Sabbath one time. Yeah. By the way, that would actually be the ultimate show of all time for I me. I have to fucking agree. For me, because my favorite dude. band Black of all Sabbath, time is us and Motorhead. Yeah, that's would just that's knock it. it the yeah. fuck <laughs> that, out. That I would mean, that would have been epic. Yeah, but Black no, Sabbath didn't yeah, show up, yeah, man. Yeah. Because they were would, having yeah, some issues, yeah. but uh, yeah, that that and but you have the flyer. flyer. Yeah, alone. you have the flyer in the book, dude. <laughs> you have the flyer in the book. That's fucking, awesome, dude. Yeah, I, you know, I made it on a flyer with Black Sabbath yeah. and Motorhead. You're okay? good. You're good. <laughs> I'm cool. You can die now. <laughs> but here's the crazy thing: as I was reading the book, I couldn't believe this. You come home from those tours, yeah, man, and there, you have no money. Yeah, yeah. And you hear this, this is kind of like a rock and roll myth, right? Oh, the guy signs the contract, the, the producer. Yeah. And I, I've watched a bunch of uh, uh, programs about this. And what the, what the record companies do is they say, hey, look, we're going to give you $100,000 advance for your next album. And then you go, awesome. So they give you hundred grand, and you start spending it. And, you, and then they back charge you for your studio time and the promotion. And next mm -hmm. thing you know, literally, at the end... You haven't even gone on tour. You owe them twenty twenty eight thousand yeah, dollars. You're working to pay it off. Yeah, they lent you this money <laughs> yeah. with interest, and so that's yeah. the kind of shit that was happening with you. Yeah. And you come back off these tours. You're famous because also at this time, now that I think about it, you 
and the Chrome magazine. You guys were like on the cover of like the metal magazines and stuff. All those stupid metal magazines, man. You'd turn, there'd be like Skid Row on one page and us on the next. (laughs) And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Ozzy on one page, me on the next. Yeah. So you were there. I mean, you were. We were were on the cusp. We were right about to break it, you know. And you were still broke. Still, you yeah, would come home man. from those tours and still be living on the streets. I would, I would be coming off those tours and trying to figure out where I was staying, Damn, or I'd be showing up at my grandmother's house, you know, or I'd be like, you know, yeah, we got pretty fucked, man. But you know, you don't know what you don't know, you know. <laughs> so it's like when, when you're a kid and uh, you ain't got no guidance, nobody looking out for you. You know, you make a lot of mistakes. Yeah, and also back then they had a much better monopoly. The, like, yeah, the record the companies industry, here they nowadays, really know how to screw you, you can say, then. oh, you know what? I'll just make my own record, and yeah, I'll, I'll be able they, to distribute it through the, yeah, the YouTube and, and social stat, media and all this blah, blah, other stuff. You know, that would have been helpful in those days, as far as you know. But um, you know. I think that the internet and everything is also really kind of fucked music up because it's like people don't have to have any uh, lineage or any uh, connection to their roots anymore. It's like people who don't know anything can just Google it and cut it and paste it and call it their own and the next thing you know, they're an artist. And it's like, no, you're not a fucking artist. You're a fucking cut and paste motherfucker who hasn't ever actually experienced a fucking thing and you don't even know the history of what you're imitating. You just know that you're into it right now, so you're imitating it right now. The the other crazy thing is you know, it was hard to get like these records when I was a kid. Yeah, you, you, had, you had to know. You couldn't order them. You, no. you had to like get somebody that was going to go to New York and, hey, if they have this album, can you pick it up? Well, you go me? to Bleaker Bob's and yeah, grab it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you go to Bleaker And it was like that. Yeah. You couldn't just. Yeah, yeah. But nowadays, you can. if you say, oh, the Cro-Mags are cool because I heard a song, you put them into Google, you get Cro-Mags, you get every other band that's been related to them, you get Bounds that sound like them, and you can just download them all immediately, yeah. and it's no factor. It's kind of crazy. That's why, for me, like, you know, how many record, total record albums I had, and I loved music, I probably had like 80 records, right? 80 records. On my computer right now, on my phone, I probably got 10,000 records. No, I got all kinds of songs, yeah. right? Every band that's ever existed, I got them on my phone. Dude, and you, you would shit if you saw my fucking I bet you it was Dude, sick you one, huh? You would shit. <laughs> you would fucking be like, like a kid in a candy store, man. You fucking, because I got everything from back then. I got it Damn. all. I got like Motorhead test pressings. Uh, I got like you're one of those yeah, guys that I goes mean, out got, and gets test pressings. You know, like, <laughs> I was watching some video with uh, Rollins because you know Rollins has. Yeah, no, dude, I he think, has my I, first single. He bought it from me. When, uh, yeah, he's like, I think he he might have one of the most epic record collections. Probably, some of the yeah. stuff that he and he likes weird stuff. Too. Yeah. He likes stuff that like yeah. I, I wouldn't want it, but he's got you know first pressings, yeah. test pressings. He's a freak. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> <laughs> and he's got money too. Yeah, he's a good dude. Man. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's um, really cool people. You end up trying to trying to sue a little bit. I think you tried to sue the record company or something. You end up just going into legal what, costs. Yeah, what we were trying to happen was we were trying desperately to get off of our record label and get away from our management because uh, we got to a certain point where we were just on the verge of blowing up, and Profile was was still treating us like chumps. You know, we weren't getting no money. We weren't getting anything. We were getting treated like fucking dog shit. And um, someone who was working at Electra was interested in signing us. So we were like, Electra, oh, Metallica, oh, here's our fucking shot. So we like got Because Profile, 
Profile was they like all metalish, right? No, Profile was actually a hip hop label. So oh, okay. what they did with us was really kind of out uh, there, out there because they had, you know, their big band. Isn't it was, like Century Media? That slash? came after. No, oh, okay. no, no. Uh, Profile was big for Run DMC. Oh, okay. That was who their, and then like Rob Bass. Uh, it takes two. Yeah. It takes two. That was like their those big. They, that was their hits. Run DMC was their main shit. Speaking of crossover, <clears throat> Run DMC. Yeah, they brought the metal, yeah, dude, the they, riffs. Yeah, I mean, you know, they those guys were great, man. I saw yeah, them I for sure. Them, I saw them play so many times back in the day. I remember seeing them with the Beastie Boys at the Garden, and that that was a fucking great show. It's fun, man. It's like all the, the Beastie Boys brought all like the, the the little white kids and Run DMC brought all the black kids and the black kids were just walking around robbing all the white kids. And I was sitting there fucking laughing my fucking dick off, like watching people just get yoked in the fucking aisles. I'm like, this shit is hilarious. It was funny. Oh damn! So you were trying to get off that label, yeah, and trying to get onto Electra. Damn, because Electra was huge. Yeah, right? yeah, that would have been a good move for us, but um, Profile didn't like us. And they would have rather taken, you know, they you, you couldn't offer them enough money to, to give us our freedom. They were like, "Fuck these dudes." Damn. Yeah, we had some issues with some of the head people there. And uh, then you end up so with uh, with Alpha Omega. Yeah. And by the way, I didn't say this, but you sang on Best Wishes. Yeah, I sang, John... on, I sang on like half the album, oh, okay. more or less, you know. And then me and John both sang on, on Alpha Omega. On Alpha Omega, and I gotta read this from the book, cause I got a kick out of it. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Here he goes, back to the book. You know how you can always tell when a heavy band is starting to lose their edge when they start using a fucking keyboard? Yeah. We did that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, to be fair, <laughs> I was eating a lot of mushrooms at that recording session. So, like, things sounded a little bit different to me, and they were sounding, the keyboard sounded cool, man. <laughs> I was eating all kinds of mushrooms and drinking mushroom tea, and I was like, yeah, that shit sounds cool. Dig. Yeah, roll with that, you know? <laughs> but see, uh, at least I can look back and laugh at myself. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like if you can't fucking laugh at yourself, man, you're an asshole. And some other, I think I might have breezed through it, but there's another point where you're talking about how spinal tapish, like yeah. all this, and even that spinal tapish, right? When yeah, you start yeah. venturing yeah. out, you no, got no, no shit. What's, yeah, you know, the, uh, Stonehenge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Ed, do, do you want to hear something really fucking funny? I mean. Me, me, and Doug watched Spinal Tap with John one time, just just, just to show you a bit, little bit about his intellect. All right, we're watching about halfway through that movie. John turns to me and Doug goes, "Yo, man, these guys suck. I've never even heard of them. Why did they make a movie about them?" And me and Doug just look at each other like, "This motherfucker thinks this is a real documentary." Uh. Oh my fucking! Anyway, sorry, I had to. Hey, you know what? I've seen I've seen Spinal Tap mm-hmm. twice live. Oh, I saw no. them once. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a Spinal Tap lighter. Yeah, yeah that's what's up. <laughs> I brought my wife, and you know when they play big bottoms, you know they all play bass. Yeah, the whole yeah, band yeah, gets yeah. out basses. Yeah, that's why yeah, it's that such was a, a fucking brilliant fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I remember like being in those clubs where you're find, trying to find the stage. You're walking around. You're like, all right, Cleveland. All right, Cleveland. You're like fucking walking around. You wind up outside the club. You're like, where the fuck is the stage? Oh you know, yeah. Uh, now I'm. You're still, man. You're still struggling. 
going yeah, through all yeah. this stuff. You know, I struggled up until pretty much not that long ago. Until two weeks ago, like <laughs> yeah. I said. <laughs> you wrote you wrote here, before I get into this next chapter, I'm telling you that I had to lose a lot of stuff from this era because I have kids now and I don't want them to know exactly how insane things got or to think I'm a worse piece of shit than they already will or do. But again, this is proof that you can plummet to the bottom of the worst depths of hell and still come back and try to become a better person. There was enough filth, drugs, orgies, violence, and crime during this period to write a book about nothing else. As insane as it was and as much fun as I thought I was having, deep down I was looking for a way out. I think that's why I took everything to such an extreme. I don't think I cared if I lived. There were times I don't think I wanted to. I'm not proud looking back on it now. If anything, I'm sur- surprised I survived. Heavy. It's fucked up here and you read that shit, bro. <laughs> like, it makes me go. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, it's true, you know. You know, I've seen some of my. Uh, friends that they they start to I think get the same outlook and they start doing shit that is uh not you know high survival rate activities you yeah know? and it's like they're walking that line of you know well it's kind of like you want to die but you're not going to take the pussy route and kill yourself so yeah. you're just going to do everything you can to kill yourself <laughs> without actually putting a rope around your neck so instead of putting a rope around your neck you put a rope around your arm and stick a fucking needle in it or you know smoke dust until the world is just a fucking illusion you know i'm gonna read this right here because this is this is you know here you go back to the book at one point I was broke as shit. This is after you have three albums signed by a major record contract, toured all over the world, played with Motorhead on tour. Here we go, back to the book. At one point, I was broke as shit, and I got busted shoplifting food at a supermarket. I didn't have any ID, so the kids I was with ran back to the house and came back with three of my CD covers as ID. I was sitting in this holding area in the back of the store, and the store cops were looking at me all confused. They were like, this is your ID? I was holding up pictures from the Age of Coral, Best Wishes, and Alpha (laughs) Omega, and I was like, see, look at the picture and look at my tattoos, this is me. They were like, you're kidding, right? This is all the ID you got? Yeah. (laughs) That's Yeah, I didn't even have a fuck, I had no ID, I had nothing, dude. You know what else I just realized that I completely breezed over? Is like I'm saying that you had this record, you had this record, you had this. You're also a sick bassist. I mean, oh, like an unbelievable <laughs> bassist, you know? Like, like, so you have this incredible musical talent. And you play drums, too. But, I mean, your bass playing is savage. I'm actually savage. a better drummer. But that's Well, that's good. Opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but your bass playing is well, sick. Thank you. Thank so you had all this talent. Yeah. And you had records. And you had fans. And you had all this shit. And you're still... Down in the down in the dirt, shoplifting to eat, shoplifting to eat, <laughs> fucking smoking ice. Damn, dude. Hey, man, you know it could have been worse, man. I mean, look at fucking people like Jacques Pistorius. I mean, that motherfucker was like the the most best bassist uh, ever. Uh, yeah, like the and Jimi Hendrix. You know, he was the Jimi Hendrix of bass. And look at Jimmy and him. And it's like you know you can have all that talent, and if you're you know if you're suffering on the inside, man, you know. 
I mean, fucking Jocko, there's another tragedy. Motherfucker got beat to death by a bouncer, you know, who didn't know who he was. This is uh, not yeah. this Jocko. This is Jocko yeah. the bassist. Jocko yeah. Pistorius. Pistorius. He, he, uh, he actually got tried to get up on stage at a Santana show because he was friends with Santana and he tried to get up on the stage and he was so fucking messy at the time that nobody could recognize him and the bouncers threw him out and he kept being belligerent and they beat him to death. You know, so it's like you can have all the talent in the world, but you know, it's it's just it's sad because really the people who are, have that gift usually are people who are really emotionally. Well, that's why they have that gift because they're so fucking emotional. You know, I think. Yeah. No, know, that and, definitely. And and that can really become destructive if you don't have a positive place. Like if you're really. The only times in my life where I haven't been all fucked up on drugs was when I had something constructive to do, something that gave me a purpose. And when you have that creative, emotional, self-destructive thing in you, because yeah. it really can become self-destructive if you don't have a place to put it. I mean, shit, man, if you wouldn't have fucking gone into the military, God knows what the fuck you would have done with that intensity yeah. yeah no the the military i've talked about this you know before. i mean it's like it's if a you beautiful thing it's a beautiful you know? thing for me yeah i mean it you probably know would have been I, for I, me too i just wound yeah, up it, yeah. but you know in, instead i wound up being the soundtrack to your yeah but a lot of a lot of fighters you know you and you know a lot of ufc fighters and stuff and and a lot of those guys have a rough time you know absolutely because you know, it's hard to be that type of an intense person and to go to such extreme emotional dumps because you know one second you're just a tough guy on the street the next second you're a tough guy in front of fucking thousands of people and there's lights flashing everywhere you know and then you know and then some people it's like your career is done and you're still that tough guy who still will fuck shit up but nobody gives a fuck and now if you fuck somebody up you're going to fucking jail you know and it's like you know and drugs become an easy way to deal with fame and, and the confusion of popularity and, and the depression. It's a, a heavy thing to go from to the silence of your room and your mind. There's a, a buddy of mine plays in a band called Slightly Stupid and they're actually a big band and they play in front they're from San Diego and one of the guys and he he was you know we were just you know he's got a little kid, he's a normal guy, but he plays in slightly stupid and he, he was, you know, they just got back from tour, and you know, I just said something to him about oh, how it was, and he goes, "Man, it just never gets old, you know, getting up in front of ten thousand people that are singing your songs." Man, he said it's just like unbelievable, man. I tell you, man, I haven't been in tour on tour in a really long time, and, and I'm the last time I gigged out. I think the last time I did a tour was like two thousand and eleven. And then a, a lot of shit went south in my life. <laughs> Go figure. And I needed time to pull myself back up and get my shit back together. I'm going on tour in about nine days. I'll be playing in Berlin first. I'm going to be playing a bunch of shows in Germany. I'll be playing in Venice, in Italy, and I'll be playing in Switzerland, I believe, in Belgium, in the UK. I'm gonna have about thir 12 or 13 shows in 13 or 14 days. I'm really, really looking forward to this. Um, I'm not looking forward to driving five, six hour drives. I'm not looking forward to 
not sleeping in my bed. I'm not looking forward to not waking up next to my wife. I'm not looking forward to all that shit, but I am really fucking looking forward to doing my thing again. You know, I, I got so involved with jujitsu and teaching jujitsu and stuff that music actually started to take kind of a, a back seat, especially when I had my kids and I really couldn't tour and stuff anymore. Uh, well, it was a choice I made. I mean, I could have done whatever the fuck I wanted, but I chose to be there for my kids. Now they're older and so on, and, and life is uh, has made uh, this possible to do again i can't wait man and um you know this this, affecting people the way i you know you do with music it's a you make a connection you know you know you you know look man i'm sitting across from you now because of a fucking album i did 30 fucking years ago what does that fucking tell you it's badass you know (laughs) it's good um you're Going back to the book here, you're you're at that point. You know, you, this is you know the same time period where you're getting arrested for shoplifting, and here we go. I was in a state of depression, and the drugs helped me stay in it. I was trying to get better as far as wanting to get off drugs at least half the time, and I would for a few days or a week or so here or there, but I was just too depressed, and one thing would lead to another then back into the abyss, the death spiral, into emptiness, nothing, and nowhereness. Of course, I was all into Alice in Chains and Nine Inch Nails and all that fucking depressed drug music, but even as fucked up as I was, there was this wheatgrass juice stand on mission, and I'd still make sure to go get a shot of wheatgrass juice every day because I figured, hey, at least wheat grass juice is equal to eating tons of vegetables well i was trying to sort of stay healthy like i was like okay i know i'm not eating regularly and i'm not eating very well so let me at least try to you know and this is this is another thing that's again i think this shows your state so i go to music stores heroin and fucking wheatgrass juice Uh, that's <laughs> horrible. Uh, I'd go to music stores and pretend I was going to buy shit and just play instruments. I'd hang out as long as I could and then leave. I actually got offered gigs while I was playing in stores. I got offered gigs for doing sessions for different producers, but I'd be all fucked up and miss the session because I wouldn't know what day it was and then realize a day or two later I'd bo- lose their business card or whatever. So you just can't get your shit. Yeah, I was really just... <laughs> I was pretty fucking, uh, it was embarrassing. And that was, by the way, that was taking place out on the West Coast. Yeah, yeah, and, that was and in then San Francisco. It sounds it's like. Funny, I went to San Francisco to clean, get clean off drugs. That's like the worst city bro, in the fucking you, world have to you, go to clean up. Haven't you ever heard of Idaho? <laughs> or, Where? Yeah, you need to check out Idaho or. Uh, Montana. Yeah, Montana. Fuck that. Uh, then you move, back, you move back to New York, and now you start kind of bringing it back together. I'd go for these long runs at night because I couldn't sleep. Uh, your girl lived down by the Twin Towers, and I'd run from there to Central Park and back. On the way, I'd stop by Coney Island High on, on St. Mark's Place to see who was hanging out for a few minutes, say hi, then keep running uptown to the top of the park. I'd run a few laps around the reservoir and then turn around and head back down. On the way back down, I'd stop at Coney Island High again, and there would be the same people. Everyone was pretty much in the same place. 
just slightly more shit-faced, and I'd hang for a few more minutes and then keep running. It was kind of good to see that. As I was getting my shit together to see all these people not really doing anything but standing around getting fucked up as they got older and did nothing with themselves, it gave me motivation to keep my shit together. So. Yeah, that's when I started pulling myself back up, you know. And one of the things that helped out with that first of all you guys got def jam you guys got signed to def jam is that right we had a uh, they gave you an advance or something yeah we got an advance to record something for them and then the deal wound up falling apart so we wound up being left with the recordings in our possession oh. that we were able to then put out ourselves what what album was that uh revenge oh, okay which i thought was actually a really good album but um you know it is what it is. We didn't think shit never managed to stay together. That band just had fucked up karma. <laughs> <laughs> and around this time, you started your jujitsu career. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Is- well, I, that's you know I, I I've said it many times, man. Henzo really fucking saved my life in a lot yeah. of ways because uh, you know even though I was doing those you know. 12 mile runs and shit like that. I mean, I worked my way up to really doing long ones. I started off doing like three, four miles. I got into it. But I would still have my moments of just like uh, depression and just, and I'd want to get fucked up and stuff. But I had jujitsu and uh, I was living in my rehearsal studio. I didn't even have a fucking shower. I was like bathing on the roof with, filling up uh, two gallon buckets I'd go up there with like four or five buckets and just like bathe I was living in the rehearsal studio I I wasn't you know life was not great but every day I'd go and I'd train and uh, that gave me a place to uh, to find myself again you know when was this what year Uh, it was like uh, January February of 96 okay like uh, I, when I came back, I discovered uh, MMA from UFC one and two sure. when I was out on the West Coast. And I'm like, what the fuck did he just do to him? <laughs> like, I, I was probably you know hit a thousand people in the face, I <laughs> kicked a thousand people in the head, and head butted and bit and whatever. But I ain't never seen a triangle choke. Yeah. The fuck is an armbar? Yeah. You know, and I made up my mind. This is when I was still on smack. I was like, I made up my mind. I was like, yo, if I ever get the chance to learn that shit, I'm going to fucking learn that shit. Mm. So when I came back to New York, I just kept going through like Black Belt Magazine, Kung Fu Magazine. I'm like, one of these motherfuckers got to move out here sooner or later. This is New York. I mean, they can't all stay in California. The fucking (laughs) Gracie's are like a very big family. One of them's going to have to move out here. So Henzo moved. I found an ad. Henzo Kukuk, uh, Gracie yeah. Kukuk, it said. Gracie yeah. Kukuk, he was still with his old partner. And yeah, man, uh, I went down and I met Henzo and that that changed my life. Yeah. And that was 21 years ago, you know. Yeah. And and a lot of people are, they think, I don't know why they think it, but they think jujitsu is going to be, you know, kind of, when you walk in, it's going to be intimidating. Yeah. And it, it, you know, I could tell from the way you wrote about it, Henzo's just like, hey, what's up, bro? You yeah, know, Henzo's Henzo's the the <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he just makes you feel so welcome and yeah. so at home. Yeah. And um, he's, you know, I can say this and, and mean it, you know, I, I really love that man. You know, he, he was there for me through some of the 
toughest parts of my life and he didn't give up on me and he believed in me. And sometimes really that's all you need is somebody to believe in you and to not give up on you. And, um, you know, when I got arrested in 2012 and I was all over the papers and the news and everywhere, you know, they, a lot of people were shying away from me. Let's just say that. Um, for those of you who don't know, I got jumped by about five or six guys. Uh, and I wound up biting a nice chunk out of one of their faces and slicing a couple of them and poking one of them. In the process of the me getting jumped, I got 40 stitches. I was stabbed. And, um, you know, a lot of people were like, you know, I can't believe he did that, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, did what? You know, got jumped. You know, I got fucking jumped, man. And fucking tell me about slicing, cutting, stabbing. Fucking tell me shit about shit until you got five, six motherfuckers trying to take your fucking life. You know, then you can start talking about how could you this? How could you that? Fuck you. You know, you got five dudes kicking you in your face, stomping on you. You had better be willing to stab, bite, or rip someone's balls off. You know, and that's what people don't fucking understand who, who have never experienced real violence or real potential of death. Uh, you know, when I first got into jujitsu, it was all about the fighting. You know, I, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll learn more ways to fuck people up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now I really, it's, it has nothing to do with fighting for me anymore. I mean, I, it's, I just love the art. I, I love the relationships that I've made through the art. I love sharing what I've learned. If anything, I'm, uh, again, you know, the fight or flight, man. I'm way more likely to run than fight at this point because I know how bad things can go. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah, I, I definitely, I, I actually, I might have told this story before. There was a badass Marine, and his name was D.A., that's what everyone called him. And DA in in the military, DA short for short for direct action. But that was his initials too. But it just so it just worked. And he looked like a superhero. He was a total stud. And he was a gangbanger from uh, Texas. And but you know he joined the Marine. He would be like you, right? But he joined. But he was a black kid. But he joined the Marine Corps. And he was in Force Recon. He was a total badass. And I, and I said, hey man, you got to come and try jujitsu out. And so he started training. <laughs> and like after like six months. He came up to me and I was like, hey, man, you know, because I was like still deploying and he, so I wouldn't see him a lot. And I was like, man, how, how you like jujitsu? He was like, man, it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, said, what do you, I said, what do you mean, bro? It's, it's awesome. He goes, he goes, no, man, because I used to feel like a real badass. <laughs> now everybody I see, I'm thinking my, I might be a pussy. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah man. It's funny. It's it's very humbling, you know. It it's is. A very humbling, it is. It's a very humbling game to play. It really is. But you know, at the same time, though, I, it, to me, it is. It is that though. It is a game for me. It's like when when I think of fighting or when I think of self defense, I I I, I believe in jujitsu. I mean, I I'm a hundred percent a believer, but. Jiu-Jitsu is fun for me. It's not about violence or self-defense or fighting. Yeah, you know, Jiu-Jitsu is fun Yeah, because fighting and violence to me is about ending something. It's ending somebody, you know? I mean, because I know I could die. There's, I tell people all the fucking time. I'm like, you know, you don't got to worry about, like, a you know, a black belt kicking your ass 
Because he's a black belt. He's already matured past the, the yeah. need to kick your ass. You got to worry about that 90-pound motherfucker who will stab you without you even having a chance to say, dude, we don't need to have a problem. Right. You know, you, you got to worry about that dude who's just so don't give a fuck that before you even have a chance to say, buddy, your shirt's wet. And you're like, oh, shit. You know? Yeah. And um, well, I, I, we've talked about that on here. You know, people say like, "Oh, I was gonna get in a, this guy said something to my wife. What should I have done?" I'm like, "Just grab your wife, go home, and buy her, you know, a nice dinner." And yeah, say, "Honey, I love you." Yeah, <laughs> you know, you know, don't, it's not worth getting stabbed in the yeah, neck. Yeah, it's not worth, and it's junkie. not worth having to stab that junkie yeah. in the neck either. And I just know from my own experience that there's always the potential that I could go to that extreme. I don't think for one second because I'm a jujitsu black belt that like I'm just gonna submit this guy and hold him down until. <laughs> the police get here because you know what that guy may have two other friends standing in the shadows behind you or that guy may fucking start stabbing you when you're looking to fucking you're trying to you know submit him <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like why why is my t-shirt wet well you know why is my pants wet oh my god that's fucking red you know <laughs> i mean that's just life you know that's that's why um you know now, as good as jujitsu is and as good as you felt doing it, you go on tour and just before you go on tour you break up with a girl at the time. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Back to the book, without the feeling of being needed, I didn't feel as I had much purpose in my life. I started falling back into fuck up mode. I was seeing several different chicks around at that time. Actually what so I don't go ahead. to interrupt but Hey, that, you wrote the book. Yeah, if no, it's wrong, man, say, you got to no, no, correct no, no, it. No, no, no. I'm correcting you. <laughs> no, no. It, it wasn't even so much over just a, a breakup of a chick. I was actually, I'd been with this chick for a while, and she had a daughter, and I had raised her daughter. Oh. So it was like, you know, also not just feeling like betrayed and everything else that goes along with a breakup, but as any father or stepfather, stepmother, you know, you have a certain, uh, you know, you develop love for a kid, even if it's not yours. You know, and that was really what was uh, hard on me more than anything, because uh, the mother was all fucked up on drugs and I had actually taken the kid from her and I was raising the kid for her while she was off just being a fuck up. And then the grandparents and me got in contact. So I wound up doing, you know, what you do. This is your family. This is your blood that you got to grow up with your family. So that was that's why I was struggling. You know, it was because it was like, you know, I was, I never had a father that gave a fuck about me. So every time I've been in a child's life, it has really mattered to me, like to, to be, uh, to protect them because no one protected me, you know? So, uh, so that was why I, I really started to lose my way again. You know, because I was like, you know, I, I don't have a purpose. There's no one for me to love, no one for me to care about, and no one to feel uh, my my love, you know. So, yeah, the drugs started to fill in the gap again, you know. But fortunately, that didn't last forever. It's funny, man, some of the fucking... Some of the toughest motherfuckers actually got the biggest hearts, and that's what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, 
I'm sure that underneath this rugged exterior, you're quite a sensitive motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, are you talking about me? No, I'm talking about the guy behind you. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean, seriously, some of the most illest motherfuckers I've known in my life have been some of the most sensitive people on the inside. And, and I think that part of that illness has been a shield, you know, to protect themselves. I know, uh, and it probably was with me in a lot of ways, you know, if I wasn't as violent as I was, my neighborhood would have devoured me. My environment would have devoured me if I wasn't as... um... Yeah, so to your point, I agree with you. And that's one of the reasons why I think going back to jiu-jitsu or boxing or wrestling or Muay Thai, but when, when... you, me, when we're kids, young men, going back to the whole thing about proving yourself, how are you going to prove yourself that you're tough when you're a kid? You go out and you fight and you beat people up. You do, and you, stupid, shit, you do yeah. stupid stuff. When you do jujitsu, you know you're tough. And, and you know when you look at some guy in the street, you're like, hey, that guy might stab me, but if he doesn't, I'm gonna, I will choke him out and it'll take me 15 seconds. So I don't have to do anything to prove. That's why I think it's, for me, and I think it was Tim Ferriss asked me this question. He's like, what makes a man or something like that? And I was like, to your point, for me, learning how to fight. So learning jujitsu, getting married and having kids, and going into combat. Those were the three things that I was like, okay, those three things, they were evolutionary to me. And they were the three things that happened where I said, okay, I don't have to walk around trying to prove myself to this guy or that guy. I know how to fight. I, I don't even not need to impress that girl over there. I got a girl, you know, <laughs> and I got and I got mouths to feed, so I can't act like an idiot. And I know I'm not a coward. And if shit goes down, I, I know that I will do the right thing. I know that 100%. So those were the things that, to me, gave me, like, security as a man. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing that you're saying. How, you know, when we're young and there's, you're out there just to try and prove and, and protect and shield your your emotions your sensitivity yeah you know yeah that's what you do and so a good way to get over that in my opinion is instead of having to fake it you learn it for real i wish i would have had jujitsu when i was a young kid that would have helped me immensely you know yeah um well i mean just to just one person i'll just mention briefly is um high and gracie uh another brother that i i truly loved and and uh you know, he died in uh, 2007. It was uh, very tragic. And um, here's a guy who was feared by 99.9% of the people that knew him. And the 1% of people that knew him fucking loved him. And he was, you know, it's like I'm saying, like, you know, you got these people who are fucking dangerous motherfuckers. You don't even want to look at them wrong or for too long. You know, but if they fucking love you, man, nobody better fuck with you ever. Well, you got a part in in the book where you're talking about he came home, he fought in Japan, comes home, he gives you, you know, you just had your first kid, he gives you two grand. Yeah. Not for nothing, just for being you. And I didn't want to take it. And he's like, shut the fuck up. It's for the baby. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, I know motherfuckers my whole life who didn't do that for me, you know. 
you and, know Dean Dean Lister, who's mm-hmm. you know one, one of my yeah. friends and training partners and all that. But he's got some funny stories about Hyen, and he's like, Hyen was fucking crazy. You know? Yeah, like Hyen's no, he was a like crazy, crazy motherfucker. But 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 to be honest though, I never had any crazy experiences with him because I feel like when he looked into my eyes, he knew he didn't have to prove anything to me. Yeah, you guys kind of counted it out. What's that called? <laughs> that <laughs> was like, yeah, there, there was a... Yeah. It's, Canceled it's, each other. Yeah. Well, it was like, you know, I don't have to prove I'm a badass to you. You don't have to prove you're a badass to me. Let's just go out and chill. That's good. You know, we'd go out and like go to stupid movies. Like, you know, go out and just work on his English. <laughs> you know, like, I never, you know... Yeah, we had fun, you know, but we never like gotten brawls and got, yeah. you know, rah. You but know? I mean, you know, he he died. Yeah, uh, and he got uh, he got arrested. He yeah, like, it, stole was, it, was car, bad, it was a it was a whole horrible bad situation. Scene, but you know, again, it's like you know, he, again, this is somebody who was very emotional, and uh, sadly, you know, like many people, uh, started using drugs as a, as a way to to deal with shit i guess i don't want to say to deal with shit but maybe just as a a little bit of an escape you know you got to figure what kind of fucking uh you know i mean his favorite song was a boy named sue by johnny cash and he really f- felt like he was living that life by being him you know with the name gracie and having to be you know always having to step up always having to prove himself and always having to be a badass and I think that when you're forced to react and deal with things on that level all the time, and especially when you are actually a, a nice person at heart or, or a, a, a sensitive person at heart, when you're forced to always take that stance, that shit's a fucking tough one, man. You know, that's a hard road to travel. And, uh, you know, I always have him with me. Always. I always have him sitting on one shoulder and Henzo sitting on the other. <laughs> And uh, you know when it's I good backup. When, yeah when I have big when I am confronted by you know serious shit, I think about you know how one would react and how the other would react and and then I try to find my own sense in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's Hyen's kind of a classic example of everything that we're talking about. I mean, yeah. For all for all practical purposes, you shouldn't be here right now. You should oh, yeah, be no, either no dead or in jail or whatever. Yeah. And he he did and some he shit that it. was going down the yeah. same path, but he didn't didn't make he didn't it through make the path. It, you know, and uh, that's you know that's the that's the thing, man. I I feel really fortunate that I had music because I think that it gave me a tool to to uh it gave me a paddle to row my way through the shit but it also came with its own load of shit you know it's funny because you know i probably should have encouraged my kids to learn more about music and be more musical but i encouraged them to be jujitsu guys because i felt that you know MMA is way safer. It's a better. There's less. There's less off roads there, man. Less bad exits you can take. You might get punched in your face a bunch of times, but at least you won't. You know, at least it won't be life punching you in your face. Damn. You know. And there's, you know, all kinds of drama around it. You described it again as Spinal Tap. You know, just the rock and roll crap. Chromags comes to an end for the most part, and you end up putting out. Out of record, Harley's War. Yeah. And um, good, good rock and roll music, baby. <laughs> and uh, now, and also during that time, you you had some kids. Yeah. And, you know, you, you met the mother of your kids. And 
she wanted to go to school, and so you took off some time to just yeah, I, I pretty much put my musical career on uh, hold. You know, to take care of your kids. Yeah, and uh, you know, one of the, one of the paragraphs that you wrote in here is awesome. Um, talking about your kids, and you say. And this is something I completely related to. I'll tell you, the first time I looked down at the other end of the mats and saw my boys training, it was one of the greatest moments of my life. My youngest son spent his birthday at the academy with George St. Pierre and all the rest of the fellas. My eldest son had his birthday there with all the Gracies and about 30 kids, a full house and a cake with the Henzo Gracie Academy logo on it. My sons have grown up with Henzo like an uncle. Igor Halls, Gregor, Daniel, Neiman, all the guys treat my boys like family. They've known their instructor, Magno Gama, since birth. He came to the hospital to see them hours after they were born, and Henzo they have known since they were days old. My eldest and I have been on Greyhound buses in the middle of the night, traveling hours away to represent RGA and Team Henzo Gracie. I have competed with my sons at nationally ranked grappling, submission, and jiu-jitsu events. One of my proudest moments was when we both competed at the same event. My son took first place in his division, and I took second place in the expert master's division in the 30 to 35-year-old age bracket, although I was 44. Henzo joked when he first saw my son, this is the proof that even though the fruit is rotten, the seed can still be good. (laughs) (laughs) That's, uh, yeah, (laughs) we we all know that one, and, uh, you know, I... I guess it's when you see your kid doing anything that you love doing and you see, get to see your kid do it. Echo, you got that in your future. When you see your kid, oh, yeah, you, you see your daughter on the mat right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's cool when you see your kid like training. Mm-hmm. And I'm to the point right now, my son's a big kid. He's 14, but he's, I can roll with him, man. Like a yeah. legit, I can roll with him. He's taller than me. Yeah. He's, he's, Dude, my 14 year old's six foot. Buck eighty. Yeah. How does that even happen? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it's awesome when you when you get to train. And you know the other thing I noticed well, I surf and with my son, as good as it feels to surf, like as good there's a really good feeling when you surf. As good as that feels, it feels just as good, if not better, to be paddling back out after catching a wave and see my son just 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 getting after it it's just <laughs> it's so awesome it's like you, sometimes you sit there and watch you know i'll just like i was like watching him and yeah. and you try not you try to like contain yourself yeah. just but groovy it's just <laughs> it's just so awesome it's so cool and and you know you see you know and i got a bunch of daughters too and seeing them do when they it basically when you see your kids kicking ass at stuff man it's no it's man a, it makes you feel fucking good you know yeah i mean you see them doing positive shit especially man because god knows i mean i've done so much negative shit that when I see my kids doing something positive makes me feel really good yeah you know (laughs) going back to the book talking about your dad my dad my father died from a fire so you your your father and we didn't talk about him much he'd gone away and then he'd like had intermittent contact with you over the years well actually once he was out of my life I you know when my mom left him when I was real young you know uh I never saw him again, and I only actually spoke to him twice on the phone. I got like one letter from him, 
and it was uh, like one or two pages and a cassette of him playing guitar in a halfway house. And um, basically just apologizing a lot and uh yeah you know he he knew he made a lot of bad choices but um it's fucked up though because you know i mean uh he was all you know he's fucked up on heroin and he was an alcoholic and uh he he actually uh like kicked my mother in the stomach when she was like very pregnant with me you know and um yeah that's how much he didn't want me so you know it's a that's a hard pill to swallow you know when your father would rather be strung out on heroin than be your father but uh but i i've managed to uh turn it around you know because uh I, I love being with not just my kids but I, I teach the kids at the Henzo Gracie Academy and uh, so the childhood that I didn't really have I get to experience and live vicariously through all these other kids and I get to be a a role model to them whereas I didn't have any and uh, you know I'm teaching these little boys and little girls how to defend themselves and how to fight and how to fight and have honor and how to lose with honor and always to shake their opponent's hand and say good job whether they win or whether they lose and how to have that respect for their opponent as well as themselves you know when i teach these kids that you know there's the like they say in jiu-jitsu there's no losing in jiu-jitsu you win or you learn and when i can take a kid who you know i've worked with a lot of kids who have um you know, varying degrees of spectrum disorders, whether they've had autism or physical um, issues, um, and to see the improvement that they make, not just in, at, at jujitsu, but in uh, in their social skills. Uh, you know, kids who are so insecure that they won't look at you, and now they're making eye contact with you, talking to you, it's a life changer, your face, and shaking mm -hmm. your hand, and and their chest is out and their shoulders are back and they're not all, you know, that, you know. So where I didn't have certain things, you know, at the end of the day, it gave me something else. It gave me the ability to uh, value that, that relationship that you can have with children that a lot of people take for granted. A lot of, I even get disappointed with a lot of the parents that, bring their kids to jujitsu because I feel like, you know, you a lot of people hand their kids off to everybody else to teach them how to do everything. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't work on stuff at home with them. They don't sit there and, and teach them. They don't, I get, you know, when you have a kid that doesn't know how to do a fucking jumping jack, you're like, what the fuck do your parents do with you? They don't roll around with you. They don't teach you how to do a somersault. I have to teach you which is your left and your right hand. Mm -hmm. Like, really? You know? I don't think people value that time enough. And I, I, I have said it before. It's like, you know, your, your, your job may, your career may change several times in your life. Your spouse may not be your spouse forever, but your kids are always going to be your kids. So you really have to cherish and value that and, and the time that you spend with them because they'll always be your kids. 
you know, that woman that you think you're in love with may leave you. You may fall out of love. Your job may, you know, fold. But your kids, you're going to be your kids forever, and they'll always need you, even if it's just emotionally, to know that you're there, even if they're not seeing you every year or every six months, or even if you don't speak to them, they, you know, you still have to be an emotional and spiritual backbone, even from afar, you know, I know, I mean, I, you know, I forgive you, dad. <laughs> yeah. You, uh, when he died, you actually flew down to Texas to, uh, you know, yeah, basically to bury him. Bury him. And that that was cool too. I got to finally meet his mother and, and learn about my father's side of the family. So there was some closure in that. But uh, I buried him myself. I I wouldn't let anybody throw dirt on top of him. And uh, and as it turned out, I wound up burying my mom too with my with my uh, youngest son. Your um, your now you were kind of wrapping up this book when you were writing it, and and you know you kind of closed it out. Um, and when you closed it out, you, you said this at the end of the book. I guess part of being a father is learning how to eat a certain amount of shit. You do it for your kids because they need you. You just throw a little on a little salt and pepper and maybe some Tabasco and smile because you got to be there for them. One thing my father said was, I've got all these years of experience, experiences that I don't know what to do with. And that's kind of how I feel with my boys. How do I come in for a graceful landing after so much fucking turbulence in my life? Hopefully I can guide them better than I was guided or at least maybe they will learn from my mistakes. God knows I've made enough for everybody. And if I remember correctly, you were that was the kind of the end of the book. And then you were moving on and then and then 2012 comes along and there's like a hardcore fest. You know, they're kind of bringing back like I don't know if it's like a reunion fest, bringing back a bunch of old bands and the Chromags, I should say, a formation of the Chromags or members of the Chromags. Oh, man, you can just call it the Fomags. Let's just keep it real, man. <laughs> they, they, they were going to play <laughs> a, a fake ass band that does my songs with one of the old members, you know. And, and they were going to play. <laughs> yes. And you were like, okay, um, you know, I'm going to go check it out. And you know what? I'll bring my bass. Maybe we'll get on stage. But, I mean, you know what? There was actually two members of the original group playing that night. And my intention was. To go and to extend my hand and say, you know what, guys, I very I love you guys as much as I hate you. I love you, you know, and just because I like to think that at the end of the day, two people that were friends can laugh at their own foolishness. You know, I would like to think that that people are able to look beyond their egos and, and forgive each other for being idiots because god knows we all are at times so yeah i went to that show with the uh hope 
of maybe even being invited up on stage to play a few songs with them. And uh, well, the rest is history. Yeah, you show up and, and here you go. You're, you're walking through the place, you go to the, you get invited up the dressing room, hey, yeah. come say hi. And then here we go back to the book. As soon as I walked in, I literally walked into the room, took two steps, the door shut, and I got punched from behind. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see it was some big dude with tattoos. It was like, bam, he hit me hard. I saw a bit of a flash bulb like you see when you get hit out of nowhere and you don't expect it. And then it was a rain of fists and kicks that were coming from every direction of the room. And this was a small room. It's a dressing room. And I started falling forward. I fell onto the couch and rolled onto my back and started throwing up kicks just instinctively to get people off me. I was getting jumped by at least four or five guys, probably more. There was a bunch of people in the room. I think I counted seven or eight, although I couldn't even really count in all the chaos. At that point, I reached into my pocket. I had a little knife. I pulled it out, and it still had its sheath on, so I just tried to punch the first person that was in front of me and get them the fuck off me. Everybody started screaming. I saw the door of the dressing room open, and, and I started yelling, security, security, and then I left, and then I saw somebody pull the door shut, and I thought to myself, Fuck these dudes their intention is to fuck me up and they don't want no one to see it They're trying to beat the shit out of me And I've seen all these dudes in a pack kicking people to the point where their brains don't fucking work And I knew right then that if I didn't get the fuck out of that situation I was not gonna make it home in one piece So I started flailing the knife as furiously as I could just to get myself the fuck out of that situation and toward the door Everybody's screaming. He's got a knife. He's got a knife and I don't even know who it was or how they ended up in my face I guess it was when they were lunging at my arm. I bit whoever was in front of my face. I tore a big piece out of his cheek It was obvious. It was a setup when I saw the door pulled shut I was fighting for my life These guys wanted to kick the shit out of me stomp me out and no one would see it There would be no witnesses and that would be that but that shit was not going down. I bit the one guy's face. I just tore his fucking cheek open right below his eye. He was screaming. Blood was running down his face. I bit someone's wrist as they were trying to get the knife out of my hand. I just didn't bite it. I tried to tear a piece out. That's when the bouncers broke into the room at this point. I was on the bottom of a pile trying to stab and kick, and everybody started trying to grab my hand. They're like, give me the knife. Give me the knife. I'm security. I ended up getting dragged out onto the balcony, getting kicked. I got one good kick in my right face. And I'm surprised it didn't knock my teeth out. One dude screamed, get on your stomach, get on your stomach, put your hands out in front of you. And this one big guy stepped on my back with both of his feet. And another guy was looking at my face and squeezing my throat. I don't know who the fuck was who. One guy looked at me and said, motherfucker, I'll kill you. I'll kill you. I will kick you in your fucking face until you are dead, motherfucker, if you don't stop moving. I saw Pete from sick of it all in the crowd of people next to us with a freaked out look on his face. He was gesturing with his hands for me to calm down and stop resisting. He kept mouthing the words, Harley, chill, Harley, please stop, chill, Harley. That's when one guy said, put your hands out in front of you. I asked, are you a cop? He was like, yeah. So I said, show me your badge. And at that point, the boys in blue came running up the stairs. I was like, fine, I'm not moving anymore. Cuff me. I stuck my hands out in front of me, face down on the floor. I still don't know that I've been stabbed. I got 40 stitches in my leg. Thank God it was in my leg only. The cops cuffed me, turned me over, and that's when I saw the wound in my leg. It was grotesque. The blood was bubbling out of it. The fascia and tendons were literally hanging out of my leg. That's why people started saying that it was a compound fracture. The cops cuffed me. They put me on a chair, carried me down the stairs, and put me in the ambulance. It wasn't until I got cleaned up in the ambulance that they realized it was a stab wound.
Yeah, it was a fun night. <laughs> so, and you kind of already talked about this. I mean, they basically arrest you immediately. It's yeah. total melee. Yeah. And I actually, when I got arrested, I thought we were all going to get arrested and there was just going to be like a bar fight and yeah. everybody get pulled in. But all these fucking guys uh, started making statements that were basically that I launched into the room and started just stabbing people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you got a room full of people saying, he did it, he did it, he did yeah. it. And you got one of me saying, what the fuck happened? And who the fuck you think is going to get walked out in cuffs? Yeah. You and know. you end up, on Rikers, yeah, Rikers Island. Yeah, for yeah. those of you that don't know from around the world, yeah. is a jail, New York jail, yeah. Rikers yes, yes. Island. And meanwhile, the media, you you know, is is putting out all these uh, the version that's getting yeah. told to the media, yeah. which is that you instigated it and you yeah. were a horrible person, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And now you're out at Rikers Island, going back to the book. All night you'd hear people screaming and talking shit. The youth offenders were in the same building as us right next door. So all night you'd hear them screaming, suck my dick, motherfucker, I'll fuck you up, suck my dick. (laughs) Suck my dick, fuck you, suck my dick, I'll fuck all night long. (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ, man. Riot cops came in all all fucking night. Then as soon as the sun would start coming up and they'd finally shut up, the seagulls would start making noise. It was nonstop. Ironically, it was the best sleep I'd gotten in a while ever since I started going through the bullshit with my ex. My life had truly become a nightmare. I remember at one point I was looking out through my window through the gates. It was a beautiful sunny day and I could hear the birds and a butterfly flew past my window and I was like, damn. Right then and there, that butterfly represented freedom. What I wouldn't do to be free right then, I had no idea what was gonna happen. My lawyer told me I was possibly looking at two and a half years in jail. Rough. Yeah, I remember that butterfly very vividly. (laughs) Papillon. You get that? Yeah. Yeah. You get that? I don't want to pap. Papillon. It's, a, it's also a it's famous a French, prison movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it was not in France. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like whatever island. Yeah, yeah. They, they were on there. That was a prison island. Yeah, it was a fucking no joke and, prison yeah, island. Yeah, it was a no joke prison <laughs> island. And at you know we always find the good in things. And you got a visitor that came to visit yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. A, 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 a woman by the name of Laura. Yes, who is now goes by the name of Laura Lee Flanagan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, she was she had interviewed you. For yeah. for what for what website? Uh, she had a website called NewYorkNatives dot com, and um, yeah, uh, they did a lot of stories and, and you know about things happening in the city and interesting people and this and that and blogs and stuff. And she interviewed me as a, a native icon uh, because um, you know you wouldn't know it from looking at her and or by her career. I mean, she's a lawyer. She's you know, from the Upper East Side, she's amazing. And um, she used to be in the hardcore for a brief moment in her childhood. <laughs> so she knew of the Chrome Eggs. She had seen us play. And um, a friend of hers, uh, they were doing, they, she did a story on Sea Squat, a squat that I used to live in, you know. And um, 
it was really a good story. It was very interesting. And one of the people she spoke to around that time said, you should speak to Harley. He used to live there and he'd be uh, interesting for, you know, for you to interview. And she uh, pursued it and uh, we started talking. Um, we did the interview and I started sending her some chapters of this book that I was still working on at the time. And uh, I don't remember how exactly it came about. I mean, she has a PhD and she's done a lot of writing and stuff in her life and a lot of editing and stuff. And uh, she really enjoyed the book and I needed some help in the editing. I mean, I have a seventh grade education so there was it, the book was basically one sentence when i gave it to her you know there was she gets the award for like <laughs> editing challenges <laughs> no shit i mean it was it was she, one I gave, it, when it was, i met her tonight I was, I was like yeah you edited the book and then we because i was an english major too and we we had a moment of like um mute i had a, i gave her a moment of mutual respect and, and admiration oh, for you, her efforts you, you to don't try know to how much thing. she more I she imagine. needs i mean this book would okay it's like 300 pages it would have been a thousand pages and it was like I said it was one sentence (laughs) and and we literally had to like okay we've got 10 stories about fighting now can we lose these other 20 okay we've got 10 stories about like almost overdosing can we lose the other 30 okay we've got you know so there was a you know I mean it would have been a fucking endless book. I mean, right. I took a lot of fights and a lot of drugs and a lot of rock and roll dumbness and just a lot of actually good stories didn't make it in, you know? But I think I think we got left with a, a, a pretty good picture of everything, you know? Everybody, it's actually funny because uh, when I had the book signing, a lot of people that I went to school with in like fifth and sixth grade from my neighborhood showed up and they were like, dude, you nailed it, man. You described the neighborhood so perfectly and the funny shit is actually one of the hitmen the guys from my block was at my book signing and i actually asked him i was like dude who the fuck was pig man (laughs) (laughs) and he's like oh man that was crazy eddie and crazy eddie was a brand of pcp we all used to smoke back then so i'm sure that's why he got the nickname but um he's like yeah man you know he's he's he got an auto body shop now, grandkids, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, word. You know, I'm like, what's up? I said, what's up? You know, but it was funny because literally like all that actually mattered more to me than the reviews of the book was when I had people who were shared those experiences yeah. and people who grew up in the neighborhood. I mean, even more so than the Cro-Mags parts of the books, like the people who are like, yo, you fucking nailed it, man. This is exactly what the city was like. I try to tell people all the time and they don't get it. So I bought them a copy just so they could fucking see for themselves. That was when I knew that I nailed it. You know, that, that was that was it, you know. There was a couple publishers that didn't want to put it out. They were like, "Yeah, we can't touch this." Shit. Yeah, no, this, I can this, imagine. This, 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 <laughs> like, like, hey, hey, you know, you know how you know how um, your wife had to lose like twenty fight stories, yeah. and I had to do for this podcast. I got rid of there, you know. We discussed a fraction of the crazy shit that's yeah, in here. No, I mean so, we haven't even touched. I mean, we could sit here and talk for the fucking until you know yeah. tomorrow, and you know, but uh, but I do, you know, I just the book gets it across, and that's why. Like I said, I thought I was familiar with the hardcore scene. And factually, I mean, I went to CBGB's, I don't know, uh, hundreds of times when I was a kid. And all shows all over the East Coast, Boston. Yeah, yeah. So, But I still didn't 
recognize that there was this much chaos. And speaking of chaos, I'm going to go back to the book here. You're sitting in jail, and here we go. Because of all the people talking shit and trying to frame me, the record label I just signed with was having second thoughts. Everything was coming to a head, and now I had to prepare for a court date facing four felony counts of second-degree assault and weapons charges for biting and stabbing people. (laughs) If there was ever... And I teach the kids. (laughs) (laughs) If there was ever a time that I was about to lose my shit, I'd have to say it was around this time. If there was ever a time someone would relapse into drugs, alcohol, or some self-destructive shit, it was a time like this. I actually went out and got drunk a few nights, which I hadn't done in a long time. I was really depressed. I was really at the bottom. I could have easily spun out of control, but I said to myself, fuck that. I'm not gonna let myself go and do that to myself or my kids or give in and give the satisfaction to my enemies. I'm a black belt. I have more control than that now. I'm not who I once was. I'm stronger than that. And then the next court date, I wound up getting a an adjournment again because they didn't have a case against me and again it got pushed back while the DA continued to try and build it until finally in December of 2012 they contacted my lawyer and said to appear in court on Friday December 14th when the entire case was dismissed yeah and yeah you at that point, you know, you kind of get back on track. Yeah. And you're teaching jujitsu, like you said. And there's a good quote in here when you're teaching jujitsu after you had the incident at, uh, <laughs> at Webster Hall. And one of the parents said, you know, so here he comes back to start teaching the kids' class again after he's been all over the front page <laughs> the of news, all the papers. Oh, and stuff. Everybody's looking at me like, oh shit. Dude. You <laughs> know, I walked in the academy and like every half the people were like super happy to see me, and the other half looked at me like some, like a gunslinger just walked it. Like I was like, you know, fucking Wild West. <laughs> one of the one of the moms one of the moms was quoted as saying, uh, "Well, at least I know my kid isn't getting taught jujitsu by a pussy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was for that fucking. Thing. Henzo laugh, <laughs> and yet there's still um, there's still hard times because at this point you're you're losing custody of your kids. Yeah, and that was you know that's you know I got to tell you I mean I, that that has been the the biggest trial and tribulation I've dealt with, and obviously I've dealt with many, but uh, you know especially someone who didn't really have responsible uh people like really raising me you know i it really hurts to not be there for your kids every day you know because i really i used to cherish those moments more than anything i mean just walking them to school in the morning and the little conversations we would have on the way to school and you know taking them jujitsu and you know i really was the uh this is the main caretaker. I was with them all day. You know, I, I did everything with them. Took them to the parks, to museums, to this, to that's, and and to then have that taken away. It's difficult to again to not start fucking up. You know, especially when you're, you know, 
dealing with depression and and all that shit. And uh, again, you know, it's just like uh, like I said, you know, when you don't have someone to to love and uh, to feel that that uh, reciprocation and and uh, you don't feel needed, it's hard to not feel needed, you know. But I, uh, I you know, I went through all the process of family court and this and that, and uh, you know. Unfortunately, they don't live with me full time, but I see them a lot. And, um, you know, everybody knows who's been through a divorce and has kids. Fortunately, I was never married to their mother. Hallelujah. But um, anybody who's been in that situation knows it's it's not easy and it comes with a lot of challenges. And uh, so now my challenge is, is to try to be involved with my kids' lives as much as I can and to, to try to give them some moral guidance and uh, manhood guidance from from a, a distance, you know. And sadly, they did see, you know, me and their mother act like complete and total savages towards the end of the relationship because people, when they break up, they typically don't know how to act or behave, even in front of their kids. So, but you know what? Even all of this has made me a, a stronger and wiser person because I feel that it has again forced me to look at myself and uh, you have choices in every situation how you're going to react and how you you know what you're going to do and and now i really think about the consequences of everything i i know i can't just uh react uh explosively if somebody um does or says something to me on the street because I know that that could cost me my freedom. It could cost the, my kids, their father. It could cost my wife or husband. So, you know, even even losing my kids has been uh, a learning experience that I hope, God forbid, they ever, you know, wind up uh, with kids and separated and this and that. But hopefully even this bad stuff can help them become better men and smarter men and hopefully better smarter than I was you know and uh I just try I try to believe really that, that in the end love wins you know yeah um there was still one more thing that you had to overcome in the book and you know sometimes man I just read a big chunk of the books that I'm reviewing because it's just a, a, a the way it's written and the way it goes together and the story that it tells I just don't really want to change and I just want to put it out there so I'm kind of going to do that right here After all the madness in my life and the recent drama surrounding Webster Hall, my arrest, losing my kids, starting a new relationship, getting my kids back in my life, and dealing with all the drama of family court, my mom was stricken with terminal cancer. After a major operation and what seemed like a recovery, things took a turn for the worse. And through it all, she remained supportive in my battle for my kids, and I started spending a lot more time with her it's fucked up when you know your mom or dad is dying 
you go through your whole life with all the baggage and shit that they put on you and all the shit in the world and your friends put on you and then there comes a time when you realize you have to put it all down and just let it all go. I was with her as much as possible during the last few months. We spent more time together than we had in years. We even left the city one day just a month before she died to spend some time at a horse stable. She loved horses and she hadn't been around them since she was a child. She said it was the most beautiful day in her entire life. And later, she spent the night and then the next three nights at my apartment. We had such a good time that she completely forgot to take her pain medication. I hope I can face death with as much dignity. The way she has handled it, I've never seen a braver person in my life. She makes all the men I know look like cowards. Sadly, she only saw my kids twice during her last few months, but the time that they spent together was amazing and very meaningful and picked up her spirits. And I don't know, and I know that she took great comfort in the fact that I'm finally in a place in my life where things are coming together in a positive way. I just wish she could have been here with us longer. She died Monday, June 15th, 2015. At the funeral, her ashes were carried out and placed on a table. They were in a box not meant to be buried, a beautiful statue of a crying angel. We all took part in reading from Bible verses. I held on to my son Jonah and he cried quietly. My son Harley stood behind me with my girlfriend trying to keep his composure as tears rolled down his face. At the end of the service, a slight drizzle of rain started again. When everyone was done consoling each other and people started walking away, I looked at the box sitting on the table surrounded by flowers with the hole in the ground beside it. Two cemetery workers arrived with shovels and a rake and I walked back and asked if I could cover her with soil myself as I had done for my father 13 years earlier. I explained that I didn't feel right about someone who didn't know my mother covering her with dirt. They understood. I thanked them. I took the box with the angel off the table. I kissed it. My sons kissed it. And I got down on my knees and put it in the ground. One of the cemetery workers handed me a shovel and I started to fill the hole. My youngest son, who'd been crying, came over next to me, got on his knees and started to help me fill the hole with his hands, grabbing pieces of soil and putting them in, picking out rocks so none would damage her box as we filled it. And his tears stopped. I put down the shovel and we both finished by hand. And then I raked the soil over and we patted down the earth with our hands and it was done. It was so sad and so beautiful. The next day was Father's Day. 
when I started writing this book, I didn't know what the end was gonna be or what I wanted to say besides telling the story of my life and setting the record straight. But now it's so obvious what it is about. Closure. And that <clears throat> that wraps up the book. Yeah. <laughs> and look, no one has lived a perfect life. We've all made mistakes. We've all done things that can't be undone and we've gone places that we should not have gone. But we all have the opportunity to redeem ourselves. And it starts with confessing what we've done. It starts with owning it and then getting on the right path and staying on the right path. And staying on that path, the correct path, it takes discipline and it takes humility and it takes courage and it's hard. But what is the other choice? What else can we do? Let the darkness completely consume us. Live for instant gratification wherever we can find it. Be overtaken by temptation and vice. No. Do not accept that. I, I hear from a lot of people that struggle with all these things. They're caught, they're drowning. They're folding under the weight of pain and suffering and misery and addiction. And they ask me what I think. Well, what I think and what Harley proves is that you are better than that. You are better and you can triumph over these dark forces. You can become better. You can be better for yourself and for the people around you, for all of us. Hold the line. Stay clean. And never surrender. You overcame a lot of stuff, man.
Yeah, it's um. I guess everyone is. Yeah. This is the time in the podcast why we have Echo here. One of the many reasons. Because <laughs> hey, we get the you? chance to decompress a little bit. Yes, fully, fully. <laughs> he, he gets to ask a couple questions. Yeah, about yeah. Things. They, you know, they plague my mind a little quick. Yeah. You know, like when after the thing, um, yeah. where'd they step? Where in your I leg? I actually got stabbed in my leg. Um, I mean, it's. You can see when I walk. It's oh yeah, like, yeah, yeah, like lower leg. Like, yeah, because yeah. yeah, you were saying they, you thought or they thought it was a compound fracture. Yeah, because yeah, the fascia is white. Yeah, yeah, it was right all there, hanging out. So everybody thought that was bone that was sticking. Yeah, out. no, it makes sense down there, yeah. but kind of by your yeah. shin, yeah. like in your thigh, it'd be like yeah. compound fracture. That'd yeah, be. no, I didn't even know it happened until I was cuffed on the floor. Bro, see, and that's so crazy. Like when you're in. Like the moment so much yeah, yeah. where you can get straight up stabbed. Yeah, dude. Stabbed with your stuff H- hanging out. Half your and face you don't can even be know. hanging off. Yeah. And you'll be like, what, what, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, what's next? Okay. Like, <laughs> you know? Oh, what was that? Oh, my yeah. face is off. Yeah. Oh, dang. Oh, can I have. <sighs> so crazy. Yo, here's your eyeball. Thanks. Yeah, no, I mean, that's why, that's why I'm so sketchy when it comes to, like, as much as I, you know, I, I got to admit it, like, that shit was fun. I, I I like a, a, a good adrenaline a good dump, like a, a good violent f- confrontation, a good fight mm-hmm. is fun, but it was also like life and death, you know? So it's like, you know, like I was saying, you know, like I had that one fight in California where I'm running into a mob of all these dudes, like... You know, I was high off that shit for like a week. My adrenaline was like, ah, I felt like I could yeah. fucking, rah, mm-hmm. I was, yeah, ah. Right. And then like a week later, I'm like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, what yeah. the fuck was that shit? Yeah. You know? So like as much as, you know, yeah, it was fun. Like, well, how often do you get to have a street fight anymore? You know, shit, especially at my age. You know, put three guys <laughs> yeah, in the not, hospital, that's a fucking enough. good time, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was all the other shit, all the fucking ripple effects that came uh, along with right, it. Like, right. fuck, I mean, I see my kids fuck i may be in jail fucking for the next three years like fucking you know protecting my ass from bubbles over here yeah you know yeah. i'm like fucking you know the whole shit was like damn man can't we forget can't we just all get along can't we all just have a, a street fight you know and just like <laughs> can't we all just have a street fight and get on with our shit you know yeah. but you know but you know shit happens man what are you gonna do man yeah <laughs> yeah when you put everything into perspective the whole Getting into street fights doesn't seem quite as dope. Yeah, you know, you know it changes when you got responsibilities. <laughs> yeah, that know? that's the you thing, know? the responsibilities. Anyway, yeah. speaking of responsibilities. Speaking of responsibilities. <laughs> we're not getting any younger. Um, so we'll talk about on it first, as always. Um, so on it. Supplements. You know, you know about on it? No. Most people used to know about on it. Oh, in the West Coast they do, I think. That's how you motherfuckers are so big? Because you're on it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I need to get some Yo, of that shit. on it. Straight up on it. I need to get on it. Yo, All up on it. Yo, what the fuck is up with on it? Actually true, but here, indirect, and that's what I thought too, with supplements, where it's like, yeah, I take supplements to get you big. I found that that's not necessarily the case. So the supplements that I take, that we take, mm-hmm. 
They're for you guys, like you got a suitcase with some in them for me. I, I forgot. We're, we're, I'll get you. I'll, 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 I'll get you some. <laughs> I'm getting yeah. on it, motherfuckers. Yeah. Well, the good thing is I've been on other shit. Now I'm gonna get on it. <laughs> this, this is this is stuff that's good. For you okay, this is that. legal. Yeah, I, I want you to be. I want you to be on the right stuff, Fars. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You want, I want you to stay <laughs> moving towards the light. Yeah. At the light is on it. Right. Yes. This is the way from the darkness. Yes. Especially you do jiu You know how like you like for example the one the ones that. I take, we take yeah. now. It's krill oil. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? I mean, krill. For inflammation and shit like yes, that. Yes, exactly yeah, right. Yeah, I didn't yeah, know about yeah, that krill yeah, oil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, the, so on it is like a real reputable company mm-hmm. that, um, like, you know, you're getting because. Right, you can get supplements. No, you and get some it'll say, shit, yeah. man. You get like they they say a krill, and you're getting like fucking, you yeah. know, rat oil. Yeah, it's like this rat much bladder oil, oil or yeah. some shit, you know. Exactly. Yeah, no. and they'll be like, yeah, there's krill oil yeah. in there, yeah. but like it's this only much, a little bit. You yes. know, the rest of it's all vitamin E gel. Yes, exactly you know? right. So this on it is like known to be the best. I might have you to know, get. I'm gonna have for, to get down. I'm actually, get Aubrey, the the you know the main guy, his like he has an extensive background in like uptake. You know how like. You can get a calcium supplement, but that supplement won't deliver the uptake, so you, your body doesn't. You're take not it, even you breaking know? it down or absorbing it. Correctly. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So there's all these. States, no, there's a lot you know? of different vitamins and all that shit. I, I I try to get all my vitamins through food. Yes, you know See, if I can, it, you know. Yeah, yeah that's so, optimal. Yeah, so that's that's kind of the point there, where like, yeah, when you get it with food. You know that you're going to get the best uptake for the most part. You know if you if you're getting your you know I don't know protein from soybeans or something you know yeah, some- see i don't get as much protein as you animals over here i'm a vegetarian right, right. I, I have been since like 82 or something yeah. like that well, which yeah. i also think is one of the reasons why i managed to uh maintain a certain level of health and, and sanity <laughs> despite all the drugs I, th- I think that that actually you know helped me the wheatgrass. Hey, hey, everyone that's listening to the podcast, if you're shooting up heroin, make, make sure, sure you, you take your, your wheatgrass. Wheat <laughs> and always wear a condom when you're shooting your heroin. <laughs> yes. Good Lord. <laughs> but yeah, you figure that's optimal from the food. But on it, like they like they do a good job in, in, in knowing like the optimum way to uptake like the nutrients. See, I found that out. Nice. That's how you know. So you know that's a good one. Anyway, one of the reasons. So we do krill oil, strong bone, new one. I just started. Jock always does it for your for your joints. So you do jujitsu, yeah, 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 and you yeah. know. No, I have some joint issues. Yeah, man. Know? After a while, that's how. And yeah, yeah the, and the krill oil helps a lot, a lot, a lot. That's the I'd say that's the number one one I think so. that I would recommend. Huh. I'd recommend a few more other things too, but just for different reasons. Like they have this one warrior bar. It's buff. Well, you're vegetarian, so never mind about the warrior bar. It's, it's buffalo meat. Buffalo meat uh-huh. made. You know how like they make not necessarily. Well, I know buffalo meat's better for you. I mean, yeah. I know you know it doesn't have all the fucking hormones. I don't know if you could shit. necessarily offer it to the gods. Well, it depends <laughs> which <laughs> god you're offering it to. I mean, I'm sure there's some Native American <laughs> god you could offer yeah, it to. You know, totally there's a lot of gods that, out there. I, I mean, that the warrior bars. You know, it's good. <laughs> I know that much. Yeah, you know, if you're Hindu, there's enough gods to pick from. You know, true. They got plenty. Yeah. yeah, I think they'd be down for the shroom tech as well, which is stuff. It's made from a mushroom. 
Do you know the mushroom name? Different kind of mushroom. Different than you're used to. Yeah, yeah. that's the kind I was doing on <laughs> Alpha <laughs> Omega. <laughs> Where the keyboard started to sound yeah. good. <laughs> well, but it's just to help you uptake oxygen when you uh-huh. do athletic. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Hard no, stuff yeah, yeah. like jujitsu. Yeah, yeah, no, a bunch your of oxygen rounds. level. You need to, especially as you get yeah. older, your oxygen le- it doesn't travel as well. And yeah, and effect, I just realized that there's great. There's no greater joy for Echo than when someone's on the on the on the podcast as a guest. That wants to know about this stuff. Yep. Dude, he's pumped. Look bro. at him. He's good. Bro, they'll he's ask like, me at practice, like when I'm training or whatever. They'll yeah. be like, "Hey, what's up with the grill oil? Is that like you know your thing?" And then, bro, I'm I'm like doing a sales pitch to him. Well, it seems like yeah. it anyway. You get him a krill shirt. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. krill oil. Ask me about the krill oil. Change no, your life, don't, man. Don't change don't your ask life. Me about that. Bro, I'm telling you. In the mornings, I told this story before. Jock heard it plenty of times. In the mornings, my daughter, she's she's like four now, but you know when she was like three, she'd come in, wake Actually, me up. Actually, the only person in the world that hasn't heard this story is Harley Flynn. Yeah, but he's oh. about to hear it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm about, about to hear it. No one's gonna right. stop story him now. Pivotal, pivotal hey, story. You and me talk for three hours right there. Echo gets to talk for an hour now about Krill Oil. Go. All right, yeah, you told the story, and that was a good one. Go. Here, hear my. Anyway, she'd jump. She she'd wake me up, jump on my back. So you know now I gotta stand up, out of bed, cold, sore from whatever. With a three-year-old on my back, and it'd be stiff. I got to do the correct form to get up. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, you turn your back, your knees, all that stuff. After like, it was just under a week. Krill oil, no factor. It's like I was already warm. That's the feeling. You want some krill oil? I, now? I, I was just gonna interject. I gotta give my uh, father-in-law some props. May he rest in peace. He turned me on to the krill. Boom. Oh, me right. too. Now, now, Same let, with your let, father-in-law, let, right? Exactly. Let me tell you, the father-in-laws know yo, what's up. The father-in-laws, they've been around. <laughs> yeah, they, they know. They've been around a little longer than us. Yeah, no, he turned me on. And and even though, you know, I am a vegetarian, I do take the, the fish oil, the krill oil and whatnot because, you know what, I mean, look, I I started off as a vegetarian for, for whatever spiritual reasons and whatever health reasons. Now I... I I believe it's best to have a mainly vegetarian diet, <laughs> but if my body starts saying, "Motherfucker, you need some fish," like you, you are like about to drop dead if you don't get some serious protein surge. Mm-hmm. Like I will do what I, what my body tells me to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think humans yeah. are, are designed to be able to do vegetarian and meat. That's why we have two different kinds of teeth. I, you know, it, when we were hunter gatherers, you know, you were gathering a lot more than you were hunting realistically because hunting wasn't always easy with a fucking spear yeah you know so you know i listen to my body a lot too and my body usually tells me to eat steak (laughs) (laughs) you know props yep total prop well the good thing about the krill whether this mean uh, however much this means how they harvest the krill is also yes yeah also so key. how they yeah. do it though is is good they use like eco-friendly ships yeah. well, you can watch the Eco video friendly ships yeah it's a, what the it's fuck a is whole that, thing a robo? Bro, i'm telling <laughs> you it's a canoe a really big robo it's a canoe big robo yes not the eco-friendly big. ship <laughs> Fuck it, Dad. I'm telling you, man. Bro, I watched the video. Uh, I watched right, the video. Yeah. It was good. Okay. Forward it to me. Maybe you just need to have yeah. your own podcast called the Echo On It Podcast. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. People need to know. Own, I think you gotta fucking make your own line. Echo Oil. 
something. I don't know, man. This <laughs> on it one, I think they have it nailed, they man, for nailed. sure. All right, on it. I'm going to get on it. Interestingly it. enough, how your father-in-law turned out, my father-in-law turned yeah, me out man. to it. I didn't listen to him, by the way. I only did it when Jocko was like, yeah, I take girl oil. So I was like, okay, I'm going to take girl oil. <laughs> my father-in-law, yeah, that he, whatever. <laughs> you know? Anyway, anyway, on it.com slash right. Jocko. That's Boom. how you can get 10% off of all your stuff, whatever you like. Well, I'm just going to ask him directly if you get me the 10%. Oh, he'll slide you, yeah. 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 That's that's what I did in the beginning yeah. too. Take sure. micro oil. Yeah. Also, good way to support Amazon click through. So what all that is? You shop Amazon, right? I guess I have. Yeah, uh, we're yeah. Okay, then that's a yes. Remember how I just said you're the only person that hadn't heard like the Krill Oil store? <laughs> yeah. Now you're the only person yeah. in the world that's not getting everything they buy off of yeah. Amazon. Bro, I, I I live in the city. I go to uh, the store, man. I, fucking, yeah. I guess it's, it's different here. Yeah. We want it. We go out and our front door and get it. You can walk. Yeah, you can walk yeah. everywhere. Yeah, it's not like that. Like I said, no. we got yards and yeah, you got yeah, fucking and barbecues got and, and yards. And <laughs> <laughs> fuck y'all, motherfuckers, all miserable about fucking yeah. no winter, yeah. bitch ass motherfuckers. <laughs> oh, no man, snow, it, nothing. He gets dirty. We have a winter. What? Yeah, <laughs> he, you know he's from Hawaii, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. he's we don't like, have a winter. He goes, no, 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 he no. takes it from California, yeah, goes yeah. one step further. Yeah. Well, my mom says that. Oh yeah, in the winter it rains a little. I don't even know if that's true. It rains a little. That shit. That don't qualify as I know, what is that? <laughs> anything. <laughs> you mean it feeds the plants. Yeah. What is that? You know? Yeah, Unless it's know. a fucking monsoon, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, man. I hear bad things. I hear bad things. But yeah. So Amazon. Oh yeah, right. back to the That's Amazon. What we're Real so Amazon. All these event, things you're turning me on. In to. the event of you shopping on Amazon, and this goes for everyone. Before you go to Amazon, you click through the website. Through banner. our website. Your, our website. Your website. Yeah. Yes. So it's like a little, it's yeah, like a yeah, support. Yeah, yeah. So when you gotcha. buy, you get a thing from Amazon yep. saying, hey, thanks for referring people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty, Big that's guy. pretty dope. They give us a little bit, a little piece of that. Yeah. And you know what it caught? The, the, the cool thing is, because you can set up things for, for like podcasts that's basically give me money. Mm-hmm. Get, just give me money. But oh, like I, a donation. Yeah. I don't really like asking people for money. Yeah. This, you don't even, it doesn't, it, your price doesn't go up. It's actually in my book. It's kind of a good way to stick it to the man because Amazon's got to kick a little bit down to the podcaster well, over well, here. But but he, it's kind of not because. Wait a okay. minute, you stick it to the man too? Yeah, yeah I, do. I thought you were yeah. all about the man. This is kind of an ambiguous. He play, he it. I guess I guess yeah. I'm. You know, I still got the roots, man. Yeah. <laughs> Keeping his integrity. <laughs> fuck the man. Uh, wait a minute, I am the man. Wait, yeah. am I the man? Wait, yeah. fuck the man. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there is a yeah, a little bit of confusion there. Yeah, no, that's uh, cool. <laughs> but I mean, either way, you know, when you do do this, I think it, it does benefit Amazon because it's like a referral. You know, I mean, oh, because yeah, but no. Oh, so, you, so you're saying that somebody might order something from another online retailer, but instead, someone says, "I'm gonna support the podcast." Yeah, right. fuck that. Boom. Support the podcast, yeah. motherfuckers. I like how yeah. you roll. Don't be a bunch of bitches. You got to support the home team, man. <laughs> fuck that. I, I feel the Take same way. From Harley on that straight one, up, man. Shit. But Amazon's actually pretty cool like that. Like they'll offer every once in a while like little things, like, "Oh, you want to donate?" Like you round up. Like let's say your thing costed like eight eighty nine. And you're like, hey, you got 11 cents to the next dollar. You want to donate that 11 cents to like something? It's like charity. Anyway, Amazon's cool. good like that. Anyway, you want to support the podcast through the Amazon click through. Go to the Jocko Podcast website, which is jockopodcast.com, and click on the support or the Amazon banner, and then do your shopping. That's a good way. Some people, they'll do it, and then like the little, they'll get a screenshot of it, and they'll send it to me on Twitter. 
Yeah, no, I, that that is cool. That is dope. It's like, confirmation. Yeah, and it's kind of like like they're saying, "Hey, I'm supporting the bot," and I feel I feel that like the literal direct support from. So them if you want to give Echo moment. Charles a good day as yeah. you support the podcast, <laughs> yeah. hit him with a little but social media. It's weird because like, it. A lot of times they don't, I don't see like the price or nothing. It'll, they'll just say, "Oh, it'll be a screenshot." Pretty ambiguous. It could very well not even be them supporting the podcast necessarily. It so just, just I just feel to, like, "Oh, yeah." They're just trying to tickle We kind of did that. Maybe yeah. it works. It works. I like when they do that. <laughs> Makes me feel good. I feel easy, like they easy, care. Please. You know, yeah, very easy. Very easy. Anyway, you can subscribe to the podcast iTunes if you listen to it on iTunes and Stitcher, Google Play, all these ones. Um, yeah, that helps. Leave a review if you're in the mood. Like what Jock was saying. Or Harley, like what I heard, yeah, man, you know, give a review on this specific one. Uh, we have a YouTube channel. If you have not so subscribed to that, go ahead subscribe to that. If if you like the video version of this podcast, but the excerpts, you know, people have been get, kind of giving me crap about saying excerpts a lot. Do I say excerpts? You say it a lot, and you put your tone on it. For real? Yeah. You don't just say. I don't think I say it a lot. No, you don't, you don't say. Hey, you know we've got some excerpts that we put on. The, you go. I made a couple excerpts. <laughs> <laughs> you go. You go. Escalation voice level twelve. Yeah, I guess. Well, I think that was your idea. Was that your idea? Excerpts. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, Boom. because people don't want to watch. Two hours. I, I, yeah, they're not going to watch three, three hour. Hours. Yeah, three hour podcast. If there's some point, oh, hey, Jock did a cool thing with Harley Flanagan. He was talking about this. Yeah. They want to see Harley for three minutes. They want to send it to their buddy that they listen to hardcore with. Yeah. They they can't send them. Hey, watch this three and a half hour podcast in the next during your lunch break. Yeah, yeah. doesn't work. Can't yeah. do it. Got to send them a little clip. Listen to Harley Flanagan talk about a street fight. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly right. Maybe you should do a bunch of excerpts of yourself talking about on it and excerpts. Me <laughs> saying excerpts. Yeah. No, that's not very shareable, but that was a good idea. Thank you, Jocko, for that. So if you want to see excerpts of random lessons, not random, they're not random. Sorry, uh, I didn't mean random. Excerpts of lessons, individual lessons. Selected. Selected from the podcast. Boom, that's on YouTube. And also, if you want one, tell Echo on social media, hey, mm-hmm. make this time period on this podcast into an excerpt and put me on there too, because that way I can harass him. To, now we can't yeah. do it to every single one. Requests, yes. yeah, Straight can't do up. every single yep. one. But some of them, I see and I go, yeah, Echo, come on, man. Yeah, the no, people are asking. I agree. Yeah, and, can you and post and wheatgrass and heroin? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, see, yep, that'll be a fun one. <laughs> yeah, bro, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna do that one. <laughs> But no, yeah, people that's the one <laughs> that they're gonna do. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, that was yeah. Yeah, well, next year we'll, we'll have t-shirts that say yeah. we Because <laughs> everybody, that's yeah. another thing. They want excerpts, but people also want to have t-shirts for everything. Uh-huh. You know, every like anything that some person shirt, somewhere, health, food, and heroin. Yeah, wow. somebody finds something funny or interesting or whatever, and it's hey, we need to make that into a t-shirt. Yeah. And then it gets escalated to a certain point where enough people ask for it, and, and then, then, then we break down. T-shirt. Echo breaks down. Yeah. And, and makes a t-shirt. Puts it up. It's true. It works, too. It's like a... Um, yeah, it's good. Anyway, yeah. So the excerpts. Good idea. Thank you, uh, YouTube. But if you do the request, if you're requesting the, the you know, what episode and what excerpt, be sure you know which ep- which excerpts are already on there. Because sometimes people are like, hey, do this one, and then it'll already be on there. Just saying. Yeah, sometimes but, people t- tell me to do a book review, and it's already been done. Oh yeah! If you're doing a Do real, li- yeah, art of war. 
Yeah, I get a lot of requests like that. Yeah, and then I have to then I have to look up and see which one it is, and then send it back to him and say, "Hey, man, I already did it on this one." Yeah, actually, that's a good like how how we we're going over today. That's a good thing about how we put the the timestamps on all the subjects. So and that feeds into the search terms. So if you you're like, "Hey, Sun Tzu, Jocko Podcast, Art of War," it'll go, boom, yeah. to that episode. Yeah, twenty two uh, or three. You know, or whatever. actually coming on top of this book, uh, there's a book out about HR right now from the Bad Brains. Yeah, and the reason I'm thinking of this is because. One of my buddies who's into the podcast who was a hardcore kid growing up and his name's Nako, but he's a he's a cop in L.A. and he was a cop in New York. And so it's I'm just thinking about that. Like, here's a kid that grew up listening to the Cro-Mags who's been like saying, get Harley on. You got to get her. He's a cop. He's a, a badass cop. And his huh. and his girl's a cop, too. Dang. They're, no, they're I, getting got, after I, got, I got friends that are cops, man. I, yeah. I don't hate them all. <laughs> you, know, you know how people, they'll be like, hey, no, I don't hate cops. I got friends that are cops. Some of my best friends are black people. Yeah. 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 Look, I got a picture of me and a cop on yeah. my phone. Oh, <laughs> That's what it's like right now I'm that guy. Busted. Busted. <laughs> busted. Yeah, busted. Okay, disgusted. I believe, I believe. Not to be trusted. <laughs> Fuck. Nah. Oh, good. Um, also, hey, Jocko has a store. It's called Jocko Store. These shirts, Jocko, and we we're talking about. Yeah, man, about, I, boom, I need to get there. one of these Discipline yeah. Equals Freedom motherfucking yeah. shirts. You know, I wrote a I song recently yeah. that I named Discipline Equals Freedom. <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And, and just I, I got to fucking say because, you know, I, I, I don't give a fuck. I'm going to say it, and that's that. Yo, when I found out that Jocko was into hardcore and when I found out that he was into my band, the Cro-Mags, I was... I was very proud and all, and uh, and I asked this motherfucker, "You ever thought about singing in a hardcore band?" <laughs> and the, 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 the fucking reaction <laughs> I got out of this motherfucker—if my computer screen could like just turn into like a fucking screaming like <laughs> the motherfucking the, the 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 response. Anyway. <laughs> I am very proud to say that uh, what we're going to be playing, besides doing this European tour, I'm going away in, in a week, playing all over the place. Then we're coming back, and in June, I'm going to be playing in L.A. And we have invited Jocko to come and make a special guest appearance when we play at the Fury Fest in L.A. So for all of you motherfuckers yeah. out there who want to see me playing with uh, one of the baddest motherfuckers Walking this fucking earth, certified by the U.S. fucking government, <laughs> then uh, you, true, you, 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 you are going to see like some it. fucking badass shit because I'll tell you, I have not gotten, I haven't been able to just play the bass and not be like chained to the microphone in a really long time. And that was one of the things that was intense about the Chrome Eggs back in the old days was that me and the singer both used to go fucking ape shit when we played. Mm. And it's funny because, you know, I was, I've been thinking for the longest time, man, if I could get a singer, who would I get? And I'm like, you know, shit. <laughs> you know, I'm like, I'm like, you know, Henry Rollins in his prime was fucking badass. You know, Phil Anselmo in his prime was a fucking badass. I wonder if Jocko would do this shit. <laughs> so. We'll see what happens if a mic ends up in my hands. We're going to see what happens. So all you motherfuckers who want to see some shit. You know, I used to have a fake seal singing in my band. Now I get a real one. We'll see what happens if a mic ends up in my hands. Well, I may have to slap him with a mic and see what happens. There you go. Boom. Yeah, you guys can sing the or with those shirts on. Discipline equals freedom. That's fucking right. But yeah, man. Jocko Store, that's where you get them. I got you. Whatever shirt you need, I got you. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. But if you're in the mood to support the podcast, purchase a shirt or or whatever. We have other stuff on there. Jockostore.com. What Shirts. about those mugs you made? Yeah, those are some good mugs. So I shouldn't have even said this. He's been amped about these bro, coffee mugs we got, or what are they called? Travel mugs? Travel mug tumblers. I've heard. Yeah, here we go. Thing. All right, look, I won't go that deep into it this time. Next time, I'm going deep, extra deep. This time, I'll go just kind of deep. This is straight up the best cup I've ever. What does you it can, look, look like? His head, like a hand on it. Actually, we kept it a little bit simple. You know, it's just black on black. It's like black matte, and then the d- design. You know, it looks like this on one side, and then it's shiny black. Anyway, it looks super dope. But thirty ounces, so big enough, but small enough to fit in your cup holder. Boom. I've been drinking some motherfucking coffee, so. Uh, <laughs> So here's the thing about the coffee. It's it's those ones that are like, I don't know how they make them. You know, the inside and the, I don't know. They're stainless steel, BPA free, all this, you know, good stuff. I don't know what all of that means, but it's I know it's dope. There's krill involved. Yeah, it's somewhere, Definitely. you know, down the line, uh, krill in, is involved. But it keeps it like your, if you like your coffee hot, it'll keep it hot for like eight hours or something like that. I don't know if it keeps it the same temperature for eight hours it might i don't know i've never had I'm a, hot stuff. I'm, I'm a cold coffee guy all right well here's the good news yeah, about yeah, that bro i was gonna say bro you put how's this i put ice water in it and i was drinking it i drank like almost all of it there was still a little bit in the bottom and i forgot about it went to sleep the next day i was cleaning up i was like oh my cup from last night boom ice still in there Damn. you know how usually in a regular yeah, cup it's like water it'll keep it uh cold for 24 hours boom not losing any coldness. Anyway, I want to go way deeper next time, but this is straight. You we'll know? have a special podcast for you to talk about that that cup or Bro, mug the or cup. whatever it yeah. is. One, one episode will be the cup. The other episode will be the oil. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, oil every single that's, time. Yeah, that's, every, that's every, I'll go deeper. Start with the oil. Bro, I'll go deeper oil. with the krill oil right now if we have to. I know Bro. we don't, but anyway. <laughs> make krill oil too, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that's essentially <laughs> what it is anyway, but yeah. But yeah, Chocolate Star, there's some cool stuff on there. Travel mugs are out. Those are good. There's some bumper stickers, some women's stuff on there, some patches, some rash guards. One new rash guard. Man, it's not, it'll be out. But nonetheless, I'm not going to promise anything quite yet. But new rash guards going to be out. Hoodies are on there. There's some good stuff. Hey, just take a look. If you like what's on there, you want to support in that way, get something. Also, psychological warfare. Okay. All right, Harley might not know about psychological warfare, so I'm going to explain it. Go deep. Not, not that deep. So basically, it's an album. We're three hours and 18 minutes into this. Game. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's an album. He right? doesn't care. Echo don't care. Echo don't care. He doesn't care. Three hours and keep listening. No, I'm just saying this part is kind of important, too. You okay. know what I mean? People are out there getting after it. Yeah. Waking up early. Some people, some of us. Sticking to the program, sticking to the diet, sticking to the workouts. Right. Every once in a while you wake up or you don't feel like waking up early that day or you don't feel like working out that day. You're kind of tired. You had a hard day, whatever. <clears throat> so when it's time to when it's go time, you're like, hey, maybe I'll skip today. You know, when you're sleeping on the program. Yeah, I know, you know that you? feeling. Yeah. That's the point. We all do. When you skip your wheatgrass. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. So, bam, you get this. It's OK. It's an album called Psychological Warfare. It's Jocko. It's not it's not music. It's just tracks with Jocko telling you how to overcome those weak moments in your program. Oh boy. But it's him telling when you. When I when I 
I'm having a weak moment. The last thing I want to fucking hear is Jocko <laughs> fucking telling me to get after it. That's oh, be, oh, fuck. Really? Yeah. Right now? No, I got to do that. Yeah. Really? Fuck. Yeah. It's four o'clock. Hold on, man. Give me a fucking another yeah. four hours. <laughs> <laughs> fuck me. You know, I like sleep. I don't know what the fuck is wrong yeah. with you guys, but whatever. It's all good. Yeah, hey, you, you know. know? Echo sleep. likes sleep, too. I yeah. like sleep a lot, no, too, man. for sure. I like dreams. No, it's I like, like sleep, too. No, actually, I don't. <laughs> sleep is the enemy. Oh, man, I like sleep. It's like a, it's like the the last hallucinogenic I can take. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, it's not <laughs> just about sleep. Sleep, I dream. My brain goes bananas. Love it. Yeah. Well, if you have my dreams, you wouldn't want to sleep yeah, either. No, I, <laughs> I, I prefer to be yeah, awake. Yeah, mm. I, I hear Makes you. Sense. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but it goes for the workout stuff too, though, not just the sleep. So you can skip the sleep ones. So you go, but like, you know, like the workout one, and tell yeah. you, tell you, don't skip the workout. Anyway, it's good, very helpful, hundred percent chance of success with that one. That's a good one. Psychological warfare. And uh, but also, by the way, when you click through Amazon, mm-hmm. you can click through and you can buy this book right here. The book is called Hardcore Life of My Own. It is written by Harley Flanagan, and we'll have it up on the website. But let me rephrase that. It's on the website. Oh, yeah. Waiting to be purchased. <laughs> and there you go. Pick it up. On all, Amazon, you can also get some Jocko white tea. I hear good now, things. Now, there's some things in the book that Harley does not recommend. He, he, he's tried them, but he does not recommend. Some of those things that he, he clearly states in the book, he literally says, I do not recommend, for instance, I do not recommend angel dust i do not recommend (laughs) heroin i do not so there's a lot of things he doesn't recommend now here's something that i will strongly recommend (laughs) and that's jocko white tea it's gonna get you a lot better results than anything uh, any of the supplements that that harley's taken in this book you go with jocko white tea instead you're gonna have a much better trip (laughs) i'm gonna tell you that right now uh also we talked a lot about jujitsu today and we talk about yeah. jiu-jitsu a lot, you know. Jiu-jitsu is a, a big, you know, jiu-jitsu is a powerful thing. Yeah. And there's a book, it's out right now, and it's geared, it's written, kind of written for kids. It's called Way of the Warrior Kid. It's available. Everyone that's bought it already, thank you. Appreciate the support. Thanks for spreading the word. Thanks for letting kids get a little insight into life. And I'll tell you, there's something about this book that is... That I, when I wrote it, the the dad, the father, the book is about a kid who's you know fifth grade going through life. The father in the book doesn't have a role. Now you might think I'm a you know bad person for not giving the father the role, but you know the, all he says there's one line about the father in the book. He says, "My dad's gone a lot with work and stuff." Mm-hmm. It's that ambiguous. And, and there's a couple reasons why I did that. And the number one reason is because not everyone, not every kid has got a dad. I mean, what you're saying is actually very real. Yeah. You know, and a lot of kids have to just deal with, oh, yeah, my father's not around much. Yeah. You know. And, and that's why I did it. And, and there's another subtle reason. And, you know, without going into too much crazy detail, the, the lead character in the book, his name is Mark. And he's actually named after Mark Lee, who was one of my guys, just an incredible, incredible 
person, incredible warrior, and he was killed in Iraq. And, you know, he was, he, he didn't have a dad. His mom raised him. And, you know, so it was my way of saying, look, you know, not everyone has a dad. And, and in the book, he's got a strong uncle that comes in and helps him. But at the end of the book, his uncle points out to them, you know, he says, who's going to help me now? And his uncle says to him, look, you don't need to, you know what the right things to do are. You know how to stay on the right path. You don't need someone to hold your hand all the time. You can make this happen for yourself. And that's my, the message, you know, that I'm trying to get across to kids that might not have a dad. They might not have an uncle. They might not have a mom. But you can find out what the right path is. You can get on it. You can stay on it. And that's, that's why I wrote the book that way. And, and you know, it's, it's interesting because I've gotten asked many times over the years, you know, about what do you think about fatherhood and, and the important roles that fathers play. And again, you know, I go back to, for instance, Mark Lee's a great example of a kid that was raised. He didn't have a dad. And his mom's a, a strong woman and an and a incredible person. And she raised a warrior. So that's why I did that in that book. And, you know, another thing I did in that book is, you know, jiu-jitsu plays a prominent role, but you could replace that with wrestling, with boxing, with, with Muay Thai, but jiu-jitsu is really a, a big part of it, but so is studying, you know, um, learning, learning how to learn and having, and, and as a kid seeing what the opportunity is in being educated, because a lot of kids, myself included, when you're going to school, when you're 10 years old or 15 years old, you don't care. You just don't care. And it's, I, want, I want kids to realize that it's beneficial to get stronger, faster, smarter, and better. So that's it. Way of the Warrior Kid. Get it. And get it for your local library too because they need it because there's some kid that will grab that book in the library and it'll get him on the right path. Also, Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. You can find it by itself in the Get After It section. <laughs> of any bookstore or online sure. book retailer. If you look in the Get After It section, there's a big empty shelf, there's one book there. <laughs> it's called Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. We gotta start petitioning now to make that happen at Amazon. They just need like, when you drop down business, lifestyle, health and fitness, get, get after, after it. it, boom, there's that one book. <laughs> they better get in the game. And also there's Extreme Ownership, the book that kind of started all this Great stuff. Book, by the way. Thanks. Appreciate it. It's about leadership, and it's about combat. And it's about taking fucking responsibility. And it's about taking responsibility, absolutely. And that's fucking huge. Yep. That's huge. It, that's something that I think is one of the uh, hardest things for most people to do. And, you know, I, I actually highlighted that a bunch of times in your book where you're kind of explaining things that, I guess you would say maybe resulted in something happening bad in your life and you'd say, hey, this happened and this happened and this happened and every time you went and laid that out, at the end of it, you'd say, but it's my fault and I should have done, I, sh I made this happen to myself. So it's pretty, uh, and, and you wrote this book before, you're probably writing this the same, no, you were writing this book the same time. Or, I was writing that book when I was basically fucking trying to kill myself with, yeah. with drugs and everything else is when I started it. And even in that state, you always say, you know, it's my fault. I should have, you know, hey, my, my dad wasn't around. I don't make a habit out of looking for other people to blame. I mean, it's, it's important to identify the roots of the problem and so on and, and what made you the way you are. So you can fix them. Exactly. 
So you, know, you can exactly. fix it. Exactly, and a big, a big part of being a man is accepting responsibility for your fuck ups. Yeah, and, you know? and, and I thought that was awesome. You know, and again, you know, um, when you were talking about what you learned from your dad not being around and then how you apply that to help other kids that are in that situation, teaching them jujitsu and taking care of them and be building relationships the best you can with your kids and with other kids that are around, man, that's, um, that's exactly what you're talking about. So that's extreme ownership. And also don't hoard the knowledge. You might think, hey, I'm gonna get extreme ownership for myself, I'm gonna read it at night, and then I'm gonna become a good leader, and I'm gonna do better at work. Don't do that, that's the wrong move. What you wanna do is you wanna actually distribute it to your team. Yeah. And that way they all get on board, and now the whole team starts kicking ass. That's what you wanna do. Mm -hmm. Up and down the chain of command. Then if you need more than that, you can hire our leadership and management consulting company, Echelon Front. We are the premier leadership consulting company in the entire world. (laughs) So we're the ones that teach the the methods and the techniques and the tactics and procedures from extreme ownership proven in combat. So you can email, contact us, info at echelonfront.com. We just had the muster, number two in New York City. Uh, Awesome event. If you missed it, come to Texas. July 13 and 14, Omni, Barton Creek, Resort and Spa. And again, forget about the spa. You're not going to the spa, don't come for the spa, <laughs> not happening. But what, what will be happening is leadership. We'll talk about combat leadership and how to apply that to your business and to your life. And if you can't make Texas, it's okay. We got backup, we got contingency operations. If you can't come to Texas, September 14th and 15th, we will be back in San Diego on my home turf where there is no winter, we got big yards and barbecues. <laughs> you spoiled yes, motherfuckers. We're spoiled, <laughs> and that's the way we like it. It's all right. You're entitled to be spoiled at this point in your life. It's, it's, I'll take it. I'll give you a pass on that. Until the musters, we can be found actually on the interwebs, on Twitter, on Instagram, and in the Facebook. I'm going to find it there. Harley is at Harley. F. Flanagan. And Flanagan is spelled F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N. Harley F. Flanagan. Echo is at Echo Charles, and I am at Jocko Willink. Echo, you got anything else? Nope, that's it, man. My pleasure. Gentlemen, it was a real pleasure. Absolutely. You got any any other closing comments you want to make? I definitely wouldn't advise smoking PCP, <laughs> taking a list. No, seriously. Um, no, thanks for having me on, man. It's it's real pleasure. You know, I you're you've become a big inspiration. I love reading your quotes and your books and uh, listening to the podcast. It's uh, sometimes it's exactly the kick in the ass that I need, and. Uh, I appreciate that, and uh, and uh, again, I'm very honored and proud to have been a part of uh, the soundtrack to your life. <laughs> indeed, yes, indeed. Uh, I'd also like to uh, give a shout out to my better half, who without her, I definitely wouldn't be doing so well. My book would not be as good, it would probably suck, and my life would definitely suck, so 
Laura Lee Flanagan, I love you. And uh, if my sons are listening to this podcast, I love you boys. And uh, keep up all the good work and keep your training going. And uh, keep checking out Jocko's podcasts. You might learn a thing or two. Awesome, man. Well, uh, Harley, obviously, thanks for coming on the show. And Such a pleasure, man. Thanks for the years of music that you gave to me and millions of other kids that needed to hear it. And thanks for making it through what you've made it through and coming out on the other side with a with a positive outlook and a positive impact and a positive message that it's it's never too late and it's never too dark and that we can always turn things around as long as you're alive there is hope yes indeed thanks to everyone else that's listening and supporting and spreading the word and as always to the folks in the military out there we salute you and thank you all for holding the demons at the gate and to the police and law enforcement and firefighters and EMTs and first responders thanks for fighting the demons here at home and to anyone else that's out there that's listening that's started to go down down in that hole down into that maw trapped in the chains of depression or addiction or rage when you're down in that hole, look up. Look up. Look up and recognize that there is a way out. There is a path for you to take. And it's not an easy path. It'll be a fight. It'll be a fight that demands focus and work and tenacity and of course discipline but it is that path that hard path that hard path of discipline that will lead you to freedom so stay on that path and until next time This is Harley Flanagan, and Echo, and Jocko, out.